0: The very rules of healing, of negativity, and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is how can I the world okay. okay. state of things in of violence without object form. This is the typical violence of. violent because what happens there uh, is is the murder of the queen, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have this misunderstanding here.
1: Welcome to Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry and Taylor Atkins. As always, we are sponsored by the People's Institute for Revolutionary Semiotics. Before we introduce today's guests, we want to mention we've got a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Definitely consider checking us out, throwing us a buck a month if you're enjoying the show. We definitely appreciate it. Joining Taylor and I today is Elliot Rosenstock. Elliot is a practicing psychotherapist and has had a book published on Zero Books titled Zizek in the Clinic. And so Elliot joined Taylor and I to discuss Lacan's third seminar, the Psychoses, which covers 1955 and 1956. And I think this is a great discussion for those of you, especially if you've been paying attention to our Wicked Leotar and Anti-Oedipus discussions. We'll definitely appreciate this one as we delve into a lot of the Schraber case details. So, here is Elliot Rosenstock joining Taylor and I.
2: A lot of these smaller articles that Lacan, you know, he pointed out a few towards the end of our reading. You know, if you just familiarize yourself with some of Freud's thinking and which is what Lacan's always trying to to do, even if it's his, some of his own innovations. Um, I do think that that goes a long way. So like the Schreiber case that Coop and I did, you know, that's like at the heart of the very first chapter that we just recorded on last week. Yeah. And just thinking about like going back and talking to myself before I first started reading the Liz, if I, if I could have been like, Hey, spin, a few months just reading some Freud, it would have it well, would have gone so a lot
3: It's so different because it's interesting. They are working from the same Freud material, Schreber, but mm-hmm. it's the Lacanian take on it is just so different. Oh the, yes, the, you're the, right. Take.
2: No, that's that's true. So
3: so it'll be it'll be interesting in context of your last discussion in terms of the differences between Lacan and Deleuze, and also really getting into the registers and the. Signifiers, the slipping signifiers. Right, right, right. I
1: had it broken up into kind of three big areas, one being the Schraber case. And I think that Schraber kind of like is the catch-all for a lot of what we want to discuss, a lot of these other two these other two things. I think kind of the structural semiotics that Lacan gets into. I love that stuff. That's kind of why I enjoy Baudrillard's work a lot, is that kind of semiotic element. And then I think there's obviously there's a lot of discussion maybe in the second half of the seminar as far as Oedipus gets uh, dire- uh, mentioned a lot more directly.
3: I'm preparing this shot like a camera person um, so that you can see me drinking tea. That way we can get more into the image.
0: <laughs>
2: there you go. Yeah.
3: Into the image of the thing, further into the, further into the ego, the various is, forms of ego. It's
2: interesting that that's, that's a great way to, to frame at least what, you know, Guattari is trying to bring to, you know, his reading of, or their, their appropriation of, because you can't really call it anti-Oedipus in chapter one, at least they're reading Schraber. They're, they're almost like vibing with him and, you know, this got of aspect of jokes and stuff like that. But, you know, one of the things is you see that their approach to demolishing the Oedipus complex is not at all interested in what Lacan is doing, right. With, his painstaking, you know, let's look at these texts of Freud, you know, whether it be female sexuality or the dissolution of the Oedipus complex, or um, what's the other title? What's the other essay he points to? It's not fetishism. It's in any case, you know, he shows how via the symbolic and the imaginary, et cetera, that the little girl, the little boy, they, they have to deal with Oedipus and go through it differently. And that's not even broached, right, in the Deleuze-Leguatorian, you know, they're, they're bringing in a whole new scaffolding to demolish. Yeah, but, um,
3: yeah, but also, I wonder who Deleuze and Guitari, if Lacan would not say that they're, what they're demolishing is an image of Freud, you know, an ego ideal or the other. or Freud as the other, which is an ego image of Freud. Really, or yeah. they really get past Freud would be the Lacanian like, argument, which is, of course, that they don't get past Freud, that they kind of foreclose any symbolic possibility of Freud. Yeah, theory. I mean, like, I, I feel like... I'm sure know. there's more nuanced takes where they do engage with Freud's actual kind of... But, I, I mean, in general, the way it's taken is that this image of Freud is discredited, which is not unique to Deleuze. You no, know, that's absolutely. something that... That's something that you'll hear from every therapist. So ironically, you try to be you know, anti-neurotic on the couch, but actually, of course, they're in the midst of the mainstream therapist ideology, which is Freud is discredited. Let's do, let's get real. That's such a mainstream therapist idea. There's a lot to Deleuze and Guattari. So I'm just, I'm doing this critique, but this is not to, you know, similarly hit the image of Deleuze and Guattari And as oh, they're discredited because obviously they have they're on a different line of flight, a different vector. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think that we, Coop and I talked a little bit about that. The main vector in, in that first chapter seems to be setting up this break with Lacan on the omnipotence or the power of structuralism and the signifier, which we see Lacan deploying full force. You know he's painstakingly trying to not only get his audience of, of you know he's because he is training analysts as he as he always says and yeah. also us you know secondhand we're sort of participating in that too and we see him trying to keep hitting home the role of the the signifier and 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 all this and so you know this this is what 14, fourteen sixteen. 17 years prior to anti right? So this is considered yeah, 50, early 55, Lacan-y.
1: 56, yeah, this is 15, 16 years. Yeah, so, you know, chaos. I mean... I'm still amazed at even at this point how advanced Lacan is in his theory in terms of, you know, if nothing else, the kind of the structuralist semiotics
3: of it. The register idea is so key. Yeah. It's so important to my clinical practice. And, you know, I was just demonstrating to my... To my psychology assistant which is or my fiance <laughs> uh, in terms of how patients like I'll, I'll use a color-coded pen and you'll have a very kind of with it patient and they'll be pretty much in the symbolic and sometimes you can and i'll chart and it's like this is all kind of symbolic stuff this is work structure this is all structure administration and then as soon as it goes into the imaginary or the imagined whole or this kind of ideal ego you can see the real Immediately emerge after that, right? Um. In turn, so you you get a look at the symptomatic time. You know how Lacan calls the graph of desire time based. It's you hear that and you say, what does it mean? But when you're practicing psychoanalysis or psychotherapy with somebody, it becomes very obvious because they're they are talking in this symbolic register and then they do go into the imaginary register and then they go into the real, which reemerges and then. In order to cope with the real they can go but to the imaginary or can go uh, different places right and there is no some things he talks about is this graph of desire has this is the this is the wrong seminar but just very briefly has no duration so a lot of times you'll say things which kind of sound nonsensical but in the context of analysis it's when the person's speaking there's no particular direction that it has to go or place right or there's no start and end necessarily but yeah it's very helpful if you if you just kind of listen to how people talk if you listen to how I'm talking about Lacan it's very right now it's very structural symbolic this is kind of a symbolic Lacan you could also call talk about the the ideal of Lacan in terms of he's a psychoanalyst who's really interpreting Freud right or you could talk about the image of Lacan. It's like, who is this guy in French theory in contrast to DNG? Does it hold up against this image? And I feel like DNG kind of have a cooler image almost in terms of I see him pull in a lot. Although I, I, I think Lacan's strength is he really is working in the symbolic in the way DNG don't. DNG used a lot of imaginary language to describe a kind of real process, the pincer. Right. What's a pincer? nice formation what's you know all this kind of stuff which is interesting it's very cool and it is describing something you can't simply write off dng if you're a Lacanian because you know when you read them you can tell they're describing something that's it's getting to something in some way their kind of language so yeah i'll stop i'll stop riffing because i know we got seminar three the psychosis on deck
1: before we get started elliot i wanted to show you something funny this shirt (laughs) is hilarious you might you might be one of the few to get this
2: I warned Coop that not not everyone on the side of Twitter, you know, would, would necessarily get the French or the Lacan. Um, well, it's so
3: niche. It's so hyper niche. <laughs> That's what I like about Coop and you, Taylor. It's just the hyper niche humor is just unlocked. I'm just like, man. They're doing it. And I, I mean I give I give <laughs> Craig clicking.
2: a lot of credit too. Craig's uh, you know, acid horizon. He and Coop have, have worked together on some of some of the designs. Right now my wife is wearing the She's repping the Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour shirt that just came in the other day. And uh, so um, you know, I, I I do feel that just to, I mean, because we are kind of talking about this this book while while on the on the edges, on the fringes, you know, we're we're you can't just start in the center, right? But I do think that something that that I've enjoyed with Coop ever since even before I joined, you know, when we just started with Guattari um, and the machine unconscious, we've spent a lot of time dealing, I think working with psychoanalysis at all, you don't see too much of it beyond some stuff about Deleuze and Guattari, which which does proliferate throughout. And sometimes it's just, you know, just Deleuze, even when they're talking about anti-Oedipus and a thousand plateaus. So like, I think that, you know, he and I taking seriously the analysis side and not throwing out Freud or Lacan, because I, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with Watery and everything. I do see his him remaining faithful with Lacan, while also having this this urge, this need to do away with not the usefulness of the signifying kind of, you know, whether we call it the three registers or whatever. You know, he's he's trying to push beyond that what he feels is like a, like a chokehold. I see Freud do, I see Lacan do the same thing with Freud, right? Trying to update him, trying to push him, trying to re-envision him. And so like, if we can give, as I said earlier, if we can reach these, you know, our mutuals, our friends that are interested in, in this theoretical stuff and sort of, because what I do see is not just from this side of, Twitter, you see an in American intellect, anti-intellectualism in general is, is a kind of oh, Freud is crazy, you know, he, you know, everything was about sex, and there's no real investigation, there's no real interest in it. It's, a, it's as though he's, whether it be outdated or just wrong, and you don't have to read him, you don't have to, like, think about these things. You know, all of this is part of where, you know, you can call it niche, but I, I do feel like, you know, it's, you're doing yourself a disservice by not taking these thinkers seriously, you know, I mean, it, and for as much as my Deleuzian background, I would like to normally, like, just make anti hegel memes. is <laughs> an important thinker. He contributed a lot of stuff. You don't have to agree with him on everything, but you should take him seriously. Right. Whether you take him literally, you know, to get to that hole, do you take him seriously? Do you take him literally? I mean, all of that is moot as long as you approach it with, a, with an aspect of good faith, you know, with a charitableness, which right. I always try yeah. to do. Even with thinkers, you know, in my background, thinkers like, you know, John Stuart Mill or John Locke, if I'm reading them and for a purpose, it is not to just shit on them. Barring the occasional shitpost or meme or something just to elicit a laugh. I never try to, I always uh, enjoyed, you know, Deleuze's spirit of even when he's reading Hegel or, or Kant or giving, you know, and considering them quote unquote enemies, I never feel like he And I think he says this, he never tried to write something that would, I don't know if he says hurt their feelings or or make them buggery isn't about literally stabbing someone in the back, right? I mean, it's, (laughs) it's more metaphorical than that. I think the one thing that I would say is there's a wide swath of thinkers and there's a lot of people online that are really interested in like Marx and, 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 and all the thinkers in his wake. And I do see a little bit, in my opinion, sometimes too much, it's about dunking on People's takes usually like, you know, political yeah. takes you or, or interpretations, and and Definitely. that stuff that stuff gets clout and gets play, and I get it, and it's we part see of that the in drama. Well. But it's not, yeah, you, you do see them. But I guess that <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I think we bring both a seriousness and don't take yourself too seriously. Right. You got you got to have that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Dyadic. Well, we're not we're not pro- we're not professors trying to keep it's, our tenure trying to get that's tenure. Right. Or China, whatever, wrap the DSA at the, <laughs> at the, I don't know what the DSA progressive caucuses are. I was going
1: to say we yeah, can I pretty don't. much get started. <laughs> I just wanted to like, maybe like orient you both in terms of kind of what your background is, where you're coming from. So Elliot Taylor has, he's done a lot of translating. He's translated, he translated Guattari's Machinic Unconscious Philosophy mm-hmm. and Non-Philosophy from Ruelle and then some Simon Don. I can't, the title's long for
2: Simon Don. So. So, uh,
3: so Taylor speaks French.
2: Not well enough to uh, to pass. I, I need to get just flown into the, you know, in, in, Full in, immersion. in the heart of, of France and dropped off and like- But so you can you
3: know, speak it with an accent, but you can still speak it.
2: My training is reading it and, and obviously, you know, putting it into yeah. English. I've never been immersed and I'm self-taught. So this is all like, imposter syndrome you know kind of stuff that i've taken a little too seriously and made my Mm -hmm. identity i'm you know not don't have any real background in french besides you know uh studying spanish and latin so it was like oh i could do french and you know uh after several thousand hours they're like yeah sure you can call me you can call me a translator right you know Um, (laughs) and i do have a you know i was in grad school i had um um i did the the psychoanalysis certificate took that really seriously. We had some really good professors there um, at Emory, who, in comparatively, you can they kind of let you do literature mm-hmm. and philosophy and semiotics and and psychoanalysis. So I tried to to buddy up with with people in the psychoanalysis. It's not really a program. It's kind of like a it's like it, 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 yeah, it's like a cohort, but <clears throat> it kind of. I mean, they do have an institute where um, you can you can actually train alongside, but that's a totally obviously different thing than, than doing Complet. But one of my favorite professors was Claire Nouvet and she, she was a part of that program. And so we did some really fabulous deep dives into Freud and Laplanche. We didn't, she didn't teach Lacan that semester. She's, she's a little bit wary of him and you know, that's fine. But she also didn't really know much about the Liz and Guattari at all. So she's kind of like an old school, like we're going to read the standard edition and like, one of my favorite texts to do with her was instincts and their vicissitudes. So we got a whole class about how Strachey may have fluffed some of Freudian terminology, you know, with the with the Greek and the Latin. So I, I, I do have that that background, which is, I guess, why it's still it's kind of, it was almost like a bug that infected me. Like once I saw a teacher really taking this stuff seriously, I, I had to keep keep investigating. And by no means have I exhausted the potential reservoir of, of all these different thinkers. I'm open. I I try to get nuggets of wisdom from like Klein and Winnicott as well and Laplanche right. and Lacan and Freud. That's, oh, cool. that's more or less my background.
1: On the reverse side, obviously, Elliot does uh,
2: analysis, but he also has written
1: a couple of books for Zero Books. Zizek in the Clinic and then your next one, I forget the title. It's like Dialectical Dream Theory or something like that. Right? I,
3: I ch- I, it's, it's the ego and it's hyper
1: Ego in his, and his hyperstate.
3: State, right. Dialogue, that sounds awesome. A, a psychoanalytically informed dialectical analysis of self-interest. Oh, okay, gotcha.
2: Oh wow, he, the Zizek I book sounds like great.
3: The Zizek book was really interesting. I talked with him briefly when I wrote it. He was happy I wrote it, but we've not like kept in contact. He's probably a busy guy, right? <laughs> I is, mean, he is a busy guy. He is, yeah, he's a he's a busy guy. Also, um One of the ideas of the Zizek book was that ideology is kind of a thing which has pervaded into modern psychotherapy. So not even to speak of psychoanalysis, but basically your standard public or insurance-backed clinical psychotherapy sessions and how common sense kind of neoliberalism has replaced the idea of mental health and how mm-hmm. we've kind of gone on this track where therapists with commonsensical ideas about what is healthy basically impose this ideology on their clients and that's kind of seen as the end of psychotherapy is when you've accepted positivity culture and you right. question all your negative ideas. And you know, even recently on BBC, I saw somebody talking to someone from Harvard and he said, well, you, this is your idea of what health is, getting sleep and don't you think this just puts on more stress of people that are in a bad mood, which is of course correct. Well, how many people are getting enough sleep, right? So you get in this bullshit discussion about commonsensical health notions, and they're not even doctors; they're therapists. So now, do, do you think
2: that that's more of a kind of a self-help age thing, or does it also tie into Lacan's continued, you know, attack and critique of ego psychology in America, specifically post-Ana Freud? This whole idea about well, if you just make the, the ego stronger and you know if the analyst can be the, the good prototype, et cetera, do you think that's just a what you're describing as a is a continuation? Yeah.
3: Well, what I did was an ideological negative analysis. So what I mean by that is a lot of it was critique. I like to think of the things what I do as negative structuralism, which means you won't see me like Jordan Peterson go up in front of a crowd and tell people how to live. Yes. I, you know, how, how do I live? I live. I'm in the UK with my wife and her cats. I got and our cats. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got my tea. I got I play baseball and rugby on the weekends. It's, it's not a perfect science of right. I, I can't give you my life and you will be happy with it. So what I work on with clients and it's very heavily informed by Lacan, it says, let's Let's see what we can do if we are trying to create what an object of mental health is. And like I kind of talked about before, I, I don't know if we were recording then, following people based off of this kind of signification, going from basically, if you read Freud's Psychopathology of Everyday Life, it's a really good introduction. You, you can go into Interpretation of Dreams after that, but I really recommend you start with Psychopathology of Everyday Life if you are getting into Freudian psychoanalysis. And it will tell you about slips, forgettings, all the basics that you need. Everything you need is in psychopathology of everyday life, really. But then you kind of apply that to the registers. So basically, in the Freudian method, just taking down the words, seeing how why one word comes after the other, and kind of seeing when you see leaps of ideas and con- and following that there's this Freudian idea that there's an unconscious link between these that you can't see. But if you if you analyzed it enough, you'd find it. Right. Um, and that's, that really is key. It's really important for people because people are rep- have repressed content. They have foreclosed content, right? That's kind of the idea of bringing psychoanalysis into psychotherapy. And, you know, you can have an object of mental health where you take these signifiers of the ego, but you don't use it to bolster them necessarily. But you can take these kinds of um, ideas that people have as an ideological framework and you can challenge it against itself kind of in a Hegelian manner or a Kantian manner, a German idealist manner against the, see if it's contradictory, if it's, and then people, once, once you kind of bash things together a little bit, these ego ideals or ideal egos, you get to somewhere besides an ego, you get to, you get to a function and that's, that's my project, which is this negative structural project with people. Um, and like I say, it's, a lot of times you'll get people, there in crisis, they've been in crisis for 10 years and suddenly they're not. And it seems like I'm not Jordan Peterson, so I haven't given them an ideology. What I think I do in this, in terms of a machinic unconscious is, like I write in Zizek in the clinic, which is, it's kind of like the registers just click. It's like, it was all there, right. it was all, already there. And through this negative structural process, you see like, a and stuff starts je- clicking in a certain way it didn't before. And suddenly there's a different relationship to the symptom, right? right? That's my process of psychotherapy. And I, you know, I've helped a lot of people with that. And, you know, it's a humble profession. I know I'm on a podcast, but normally I'm not on a podcast because (laughs) you are you are not giving someone your ideology. You have to have this mindset of negative structuralism, like the stuff is there. You're just kind of a mechanic with your Lacan and your knowledge of ideology. And you're not going to get, oh, you're really, when I was doing clinical work, now I'm doing remote work. There was this idea that I was good, that the clients would come in and they would, and they would have really severe problem. When there was a severe problem, they'd be like, oh, this is one for Elliot. I, <laughs> I could, I could help. I couldn't help because I'm a morally superior person. I'm really emphasizing. I'm just like some asshole. Um, <laughs> like I don't have, I don't have a lifestyle. I don't have a stoic lifestyle. Right. I don't have a health lifestyle. Right. It's this knowledge of taking my job as a therapist seriously in the dynamic, structurally. Right. Therapist, client, power dynamic exists. And rather than saying we're going to foreclose this like Deleuze, rather, or even Lacan would foreclose this. I'm saying, no, this is real. There's a real power dynamic. What is the job as a the therapist in this power right. dynamic? That's where I come in. I think anarchist theory comes all the way around. And rather than disavowing power, which once again, is mainstream therapist ideology, saying Freud is discredited, mainstream therapist ideology. Vizek says the main thing to do with power is to force power to acknowledge itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, right. And it, it is a sort of, as Nick Land would criticize what he recently said, I was missing in, on Twitter, which is, this is, it made me think, I was like, is this a radical egalitarian project? And in a sense, it, it is insofar as it's taking a vulnerable set of people in society, which is mental health patients, and it's really trying to break this power spell that therapists have to push their bullshit lifestyles and beliefs onto this vulnerable population. And that's what I'm about, really. So, yeah, that's kind of summing summing me up. The book I have coming out, The Ego and the Hyperstate, it's a lot about egoism itself and how self-interest is created via this kind of surplus of a lot of things coming together. We can talk more about it, but I feel like the Zizek in the clinic is kind of out there already and it's it's less intellectually kind of like this is why self-interest is shaped like the freudian dream things kind of come in molecules and they have gaps of meaning and stuff like that but we let's not get into that right now <laughs> i like what you
2: how you described how you work because in what we've read for today i mean lacan himself stresses a couple of things that would vibe with what you're what you're saying uh, particularly that you know, he has a moment where he kind of says, "I'm going to be dogmatic for a moment." You know, that's not my style. My style is dialectical, <laughs> and part of what you were talking about about the registers clicking and about this this negative uh, way of proceeding. You know, we do see that Lacan stressing that it's precisely when we when we are under the the spell or under the idea that we understand that we we are always, you know, at a kind of we always have to caution ourselves that we're, we're we're potentially farthest away, right? And and Lacan is wanting kind of these productive misunderstandings, right, with his students, so that they can they can kind of work through. And some of that exemplifies what you were talking about, where at least here, obviously, Lacan maybe maybe as he gets older gets gets a little bit bigger for his britches and and <laughs> and may have moments of guruism and things like that. But it does seem like he is, you know, disavowing this notion that that I can just open the knowledge store and implant little seeds of knowledge in you that that will be exactly what I want. You know, Lacan's like, no, misunderstanding is productive. You know, this is something you have to work through yourself. And it's I mean, literally he is dialectically exemplifying the the psychoanalytic notion of working through but you know it's it's part of the teaching process part of the learning process and that has a long tradition you could call it the socratic method even though Lacan has his own method but it's you know he he does kind of stay stay faithful to that type of teaching that doesn't have any you know clearly written rules of propedeutics and myutics and 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 whatnot and um I see this is where like the way you're describing your method you know it does remind me of of how in many ways Baudrillard does try to stay true to, to Lacan and this this discussion of you know power dynamics with you know Lacan's notion of transversality and the grid right there are you're you're kind of clarifying for me how how much Guatari is a is a is a true student of Lacan and stays and stays true to, to some of those those tenets, even if his manner of he didn't have as many seminars as Lacan. But, you know, his manner of teaching is a, is a little bit uh, is a little bit different. I don't know if he stays true to that dialectical Socratic method. That's a totally different thing. But I do like your way of describing, especially this notion about, you know, power not merely disavowing itself, but forcing itself to recognize itself and to point yeah, itself out. Great. I think that's, that's a, that's a great takeaway.
1: Elliot's that's also a, like a big, uh, he's a Stirner fan. So our stirner Lacan fandom is our that, little bi- That's so that's great. That
3: binding. <laughs> I love it. I love that there's a stirner Lacan. At first when I saw you on Twitter, I just thought, did you just find me and then just copy <laughs> just bite my Spite your body? whole shit. That, yeah. But, <laughs> I, but I don't, I don't think that's the case. And even if it was, you're, doing something totally different and I don't think it was the case but I'm just how is there another Lacan Sterner? well <laughs> he's he's trying to he's <laughs> trying to get me into
2: into Stirner I'm trying to like give him doses of of Freud and and deepen the the Deleuze and and Guattari interest right. and so you know I think that Lacan is like a is, is a perfect ground where me where Coop and I are both equally excited right. yeah. and we we kind of, you know, excite each other that way. And, uh, you know, I would say, I mean, like, I guess it was, since we're talking about the, again, our little side of Twitter, I keep calling it that lovingly, right? With Coop, do you, I mean, I I really don't feel like there is a lot of interest in like Freud or Lacan in, in a serious way. I don't see a lot of that. I mean, I see right. jokes about Freud. I don't see, even see you have any jokes about Lacan except coming from you. right. And sometimes I'll make I'll make some um, you know I, and and for a lot of our discussions I have posted pages or quotes just trying to give little morsels to like kind of feed the ecosystem more than just shit posts right yeah, because yeah. shit shit posts are great because they're manure we know that they fertilize you know but you also need some uh, <laughs> some nutrients in there too right right uh, for a healthy diet and um, coop is. His interest in Sterner is eventually gonna gonna pay off uh, and, and force me to have to like, <laughs> like Sterner. I, I think
3: there's. I love Sterner because I think there's an important. I think he starts at a good place, which is all things are nothing to me. What is not to be my concern? Like fuck all this. I think that's excellent. Excellent place <laughs> to start. Why should you care about anything? I think is a very valid question, and I think he's trying to escape. I don't think his end result. I've read this interesting secondary book about this guy who totally just worships Stirner from early 1900s, who interviewed the people that were still alive, that knew him at the time, which included his ex-wife, was this German lady who just described him. He was very sly. And you could see how like a guy who says all things are nothing to me and he cheats on his wife and the wife's because he's a bullshitter. Like, fuck him. I don't even <laughs> want to talk about him. Right. That's funny but that's an important piece of it. So you don't hear that. But this guy went out and he found it. So if you look at kind of Stirner's life, you can say, why should you care about anything? It's, well, if you care about your marriage, you have to enter into the symbolic contract to a certain right. degree, right? And I think that's why. So it's all things are nothing to me. It's in order to have positive structural freedom, right? That's when you start to build. That's why, that's why I'm doing the book, which is the self and ego and the hyperstate book, which has kind of a... I don't know, cringe based title, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> to kind of outline that.
1: I was actually thinking that Lacan, in a lot of ways, is kind of the egoist par excellence, at least in his own in his own personal life, even professionally, in a certain sense, he builds this whole image or this whole spooked idea of himself that takes on its own you know what i mean like he's got his own sort of cult personality and his exactly i mean he's also you know he's a prolific blanderer and and so forth and we all know about you know him and Bataille's wife and like also he's in his 70s sleeping with his 20 year old patients and you know patients that are in
2: their 20s and so forth yeah
1: oh yeah
3: I didn't hear about sleeping with the patient.
2: Yeah, so he, yeah, he had. It's, it's, a, it's a, no-no. It's a bad, unless you're Lacan, I guess. I right? Yeah. Apparently, I really
3: don't like that, honestly. Yeah, no, I mean, I not, don't,
2: I don't like that at all. <laughs> that's, it's fucked
1: up for sure. He was like 78, and he, I think the patient was like guess, 28, and he's like invite. He's trying to convince them to do her to do a threesome with him and another person who, <laughs> I, I don't recall the you know who they were or whatever. But
3: this is why Gedeck says Lacan would go to gulag. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a nice, a, a nice selling gulag. I was going to say, but that's that's kind of if you are a socialist of some kind, or, which Lacan wasn't, I would say he wasn't. Right? Maybe some people would argue he was. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> then you then you then you're you're kind of you have this idea that there is that the ethical plays a significant role in reality. It's sim- the symbolic function of the ethical, despite the gaps that the symbolic has or the registers have right i do think you can judge people by their life a little bit and if you really ask them it's like why does lacan sleep with his patients and try to have a threesome with them what right. is his what is his ideology what is his super ego imperative to enjoy maybe zizek's criticism would be the best one then yes. what's the image that he he wants to portray the image i uh, imaginary ego that he's afraid will fail the amount ima- which it always fails right i think he would know that right
1: Right. Yeah. That's the that's kind
2: of the deep irony of it.
3: Well Zizha could have taught
2: him that, right? About the sort of the hyperactivity of the ego and how it's trying to dress up this black hole of nothingness. I
1: think I mentioned earlier that there's kind of three or really maybe all of the Schraber case is kind of like this central jumping off point for discussions about perhaps comparing and contrasting the Lacanian take versus DNG's take, but also like you can see him applying kind of structural linguistic semiotic theory via the schraber case as well and then he's including some of the other cases too like i think the wolfman and Anna. he mentions the wolfman he mentions yeah he mentions those at minimum and maybe even you know maybe leaving someone off but well, then you, he's also like even going into oedipus right and how that sort of that sort of structural relationship as well and exemplifying that via schraber perhaps i don't know maybe you one of you could have a better opinion on this, but maybe this notion of the symbolic in particular being of import in understanding the Schreber case, at least for Lacan, because he says here, drawing from the text itself, translating Freud, we say the unconscious is a language. It's being articulated doesn't imply its recognition, though. The proof of this is that everything proceeds as if Freud were translating a foreign language, even carving it up and reassembling it the subject is, with respect to his own language, quite simply in the same position as Freud.
3: The idea is simple, which is there's something in the in the unconscious, that Freud is translating what the unconscious means in the conscious language. So language is kind of foreign to itself in that certain way. And the subject, which is kind of the subject which expresses itself in language, is actually subject to the unconscious, right?
1: Yeah, I think this interesting aspect of He says this last line, I think maybe the subject is with respect to his own language, quite simply in the same position as Freud in that, or to go back up and say this other portion here where he says, the proof of this is that everything proceeds as if Freud were translating a foreign language, even carving it up and reassembling it. So I think he goes here in a certain way later on in the text when he's kind of talking about how if you go to a medical doctor, right, they're going to, the patient's not expected to know you know, why their liver is not functioning, even though that their liver is obviously, right? It's a constitutive portion of their physical being. They have no real intimate knowledge of it, right? They don't understand the functions of their liver. You can't intuit that even though it is, it's physically a part of your being, right? And sort of contrasting that with, in terms of analysis, right? The, The patient is supposed to have this, I think the special insight into their own unconscious or con- or their own behavior, or understanding, you know, what's occurring in their brain, right? And that contrast between those two models of treatment or relationship to the therapist or the doctor or whatever the case may be, which I thought was kind of an interesting, you know, it's sort of a banal point, but it is one that maybe you might glance over as sort of a layperson, or it's almost too obvious in that sense.
3: Well, yeah, sure. The, the patient... It's easy to see the doctor trying to translate the patient, but then the patient is also trying to translate the patient, Right. the, dia- the dialectic.
2: It is important that this notion of of death via Schreber, right? Lacan talks about, as you as you said, Elliot, you know, the, the analyst is listening to the patient but the patient's listening to the patient. And if the patient either, you know, let's say slips into this foreign language every now and then, or even more or less is, is speaking this foreign language, you know, and hearing it himself. Uh, Lacan says it's like, it's like hearing a dead sentence or it's, you know, you're listening, you're anticipating, meaning you hear the sentence, but the, the interpretation or the, the understanding it's quote unquote dead. And it's, it's the same as what he was talking about with the ego having this, this dead twin, right. As part of this, this dead discourse. And, part of Schraber's delusion, right, is that everyone is is dead. He's the only one that's truly alive with this God who only understands corpses or only st- understands the dead or only understands when the totalization of all of these little notes are written down as, as he, Lacan, refers to, right? So this notion of death and of translating and of, you know, of repopulating too is part of Schraber's delusion. We can obviously talk a little bit about Schraber, I know that Coop and I have spent the past few episodes talking about, but yeah, did you want, might, did you want to just jump into the, the seminar or do we well, want to talk? Maybe, I don't, I don't
1: know if one of you or both of you want to tag team giving just the broad strokes of the Schraber case, just in case people, new listeners are not. Because I think it is, I mean, just coming from me, even with my interest right. in the topic. You know, I'm yeah. relatively new to psychoanalysis. I didn't really know much about Schraber as it were. So. Schraber
3: was Schraeber was a judge who was imprisoned for having schizophrenic delusions. And then he raised the question, at what point do you take away somebody's freedom? And he was a, you know, he was a judge, so he was this kind of member of society with some power. It's kind of a case study. It's like just because somebody has a delusional kind of structure of thought that I the takeaway is you shouldn't imprison them for that. It's not an imprisonable offense i'm sure there's other stuff but that's kind of the main takeaway i always get it is interesting that despite his
2: delusions which he himself is able to articulate as improbable or implausible right he is able to to distinguish between this eminently intensely lived experience of delusion and you know potentially that not being intellectually rational he's able but and so he writes this whole He writes this whole book, these memoirs, this memoir is 300, 400 pages describing these illusions or these delusions. And so he's a very high, as you said, he's a judge. He's highly competent. He's highly articulate. He's highly intellectual. And he's even able, while he's in prison, to run his family financial situation and to intervene in a way that keeps his family solvent. He displays these characteristics of being a highly functional human being except for the fact that he has these delusions that he has to give vent to. He has to, he has to articulate and that is kind of held against him, right? This gets a little bit back to this, you know, to what you were saying about this question of power and this question of, of freedom uh, and how long it takes for him to, to get himself out of this, this asylum. So it, it is this highly interesting case and, I think that the, the last thing I would just say about Schraver, his memoirs could have been about here is institutional abuse of power, right? Look at me, I'm an example. He could have taken that juridical framework, but instead he wants his memoirs to be read, or at least he prefaces his memoirs by saying that they are of interest to a scientific study of religion, Right. And Lacan will say throughout the psychosis that one of the interesting things about Schreber is that, you know, he wasn't born in a in a family that raised him to be. uh, He wasn't born in the church or he didn't have these ideas about God until the initial delusions of becoming woman. Schreber himself kind of puts this front like I, I wasn't a religious man and this all this happened to me and convinced me of the nature of God. Here's my document that needs to be studied to understand how how religion functions so i always found that interesting in the memoirs that for Schreiber it's you know the memoirs themselves are less a cry for the injustice of the asylum institution and more about here's here's a here's a like a you know here's a primary text on religious phenomena which i always found a little bit fascinating
1: to at least touch a little bit on his specific delusions were that in order to populate the, repopulate the earth with this new, I guess this new form of humanity, like this new creation of humanity, that he would have to transition to a woman so that he could copulate with with God, and then the offspring would be the new the new human. What I love about this too is just this kind of distinction. And Lacan references this too. He's saying that in Traber's view of God, God can only can only deal with the outside. Like he has no understanding of the internal functioning of the subject or anything like that. Or he, you know, he only understands, almost God only understands the real because he only understands the dead inanimate, but he doesn't understand something, you know, an actual live creation, presumably of his
2: own. Right. Yeah. Would you say that he doesn't, I mean, does Lacan hint that it's, it's as though god doesn't understand the symbolic unless it's translated unless it's unless it's written down or unless it's Oof. it's i, I mean he, he he makes it's hard to say whether or not yeah. god doesn't understand any of the three registers but maybe he doesn't understand right. how they they interlock together yeah. i would leave maybe elliot to to suss that one out but but it's continually that like Schreiber himself says i'm the only one in a position to be able to say that god is stupid without some yeah. kind of last
1: right and that's what I always thought was interesting in viewing God as this sort of Lovecraftian entity, like this idiot God that is a, I think, a different model for God than like the standard kind of Judeo-Christian rationalist father
2: right. approach, right? Like God the kind of edible, omniscient.
1: yeah. Which I think is like a is kind of an interesting thing. Taylor, you had brought this up, maybe in our Swamp Thing discussion. This quote here: "What is refused in the symbolic order reemerges in the real." And I wonder perhaps if that's something we could. You know, maybe Schraber's case. Does Schraber's case in particular have any does that have any resonance with his experience? Do you think? As far as oh, yeah. his delusions are concerned?
3: Well, let's talk about to make it relevant to today. Let's talk about being a trans person. Not to say Schraber was trans, but in terms of now there's a symbolic, it's not refused in the symbolic. There's a method to become a woman within right. the symbolic versus maybe an urge or something like that. And does not the kind of idiot God fit with a lot of, you could say, the other of a trans, of a trans person? You know, this is, this is my hot essentialist take. But my friend who's a trans man really liked Addie Bornman, rest her soul, Gay Vape Shark. But when, when Gay Vape Shark was Lettuce Dog, making memes, right? And my friend Miles didn't know Addie was a trans, trans person. And Addie wasn't out as a trans person at that time trans woman and but nonetheless the humor was the same and the humor is essentially everything is really stupid all these little interactions are kind of stupid every kind of the family system is stupid because there's something off in the personal sense of gender which kind of makes the idiot other the idiot god kind of appears i think out of a kind of trans gender position and which makes it kind of its own unique thing that's from my observation just as a therapist in the world. I would say there is a kind of symbolic now, but in terms of re-emerging in the real mm-hmm. now I am, I have to become a woman to have sex with God or to have sex with, um, you know, some, some in sex with an idiot or an idiot man who nonetheless attracted to maybe, or something like that. Yeah. So in term, but it re-emerges in this kind of, disjointed delusional intrusive way because there is no symbolic function for the urge i'd say that's a possibility yeah i would say i would say that's a strong possibility right uh, if i was to take a psychoanalytic interpretation of how is this refusal in the symbolic reemerging?
1: this might be too armchair but i almost wonder and we might have even discussed this when we did schreber was how fleshy yeah fleshy, fleshy. um the first to treat Schraber was perhaps sort of this model for this deity figure that he eventually produces. I think the, you know, the, the delusions progress, right. They get more intense, which ultimately leads to his readmittance to a different facility later, but at least early on, because there's also this concern or this fear about, or the discussion about the uh, orderlies with the gang rape Taylor, you, you might recall discussing this.
2: The notion that, Fleschig treats him after this bout of hypo- hypochondria and, it, and it's, it, it's nothing like what will happen eight years later when he's readmitted and treated by the same doctor, you know, f- with Freud, it is this question of, you know, is the God the lower God or the higher God that that Schreber's God divides into, you know, can this be the father or the, or the elder brother who committed suicide or is Fleschig standing in because, what we'll see in this in the second round of Schraber's illness, his delusions, you will see that Fleschig is at least at the start of this because it starts with this becoming woman. I mean, Elliot is correct to to bring in this notion of Schraber's relevance for, for today in terms of, of transitioning. You know, he has this intense feeling of what would it feel like to to have sex like a woman, right? And this is one of the first thing, ideas that crystallizes. And and it's that that then develops into this persecution complex. And it's on the one hand, Fleschig is, is one of the main, you could say human subjects that he pens the persecution on because it is this plot against him. And he's worried about the orderlies raping him and these other things. But eventually it becomes... I suppose as it becomes more and more isolated, it becomes God as the stupid persecutor. Right. And, you know, God doesn't learn from experience, et cetera, et cetera. And Freud does some work with this and tries to, to say how Schraber's own father, who is super famous, wrote all these books about hygiene and, you know, young uh, boys and girls and and gymnastics and all this stuff, all this pseudo eugenic hygienic upbringing you can call it self-help books, but it's probably for parents and institutions, these other things, right? Freud tries to draw these lines between this overbearing uh, and probably uh, removes not understanding father, right? So like, of course, Freud wants to go back and, and look at the history of Schreiber himself, not just from when the uh, illness started, but back into the childhood. But yeah, I mean, you know, this... It's hard to say, given your, your initial quote that we started this off about what is rejected in the symbolic reemerges in the real. It's hard to say whether that signifier, if we want to use Lucanian language, is um, becoming woman or um, is another episode when Schreiber is in the asylum and there is this very violent rejection of him. Apparently, and whether or not he ideated this or whether or not this actually happened, one of the orderlies, one of maybe fleshigs kind of lieutenants, whatever you call him, his second, <laughs> basically articulates states down that Schraber has this masturbation problem that he is, he's kind of, um, you know, it's not just a, Sort of a, a rare occurrence that it—it's almost as though in asylum. Well, what else do you have to do, right? But I guess in traper just like he doesn't want to hear anything about this, he says it's a part of a plot. He calls it lies. Um, so there, those are the two, and we could look at a lot of other things, but those are the two that jump into my head as like what is being rejected, right by by him. Now I don't know if we can call that foreclosure or not because he's able to articulate and write down what he's being accused of. And even that feeling of becoming woman, which we know causes is, is at least genetically seen as one of the first symptoms, one of the first ideational effective symptoms that, that crystallizes into this, into this eight year long episode or not eight year long, but you know what I mean? When he's captivated by these, these thoughts and delusions So I don't know if he would call that foreclosure in the strict sense, but, you know, these are some of the things that that Schraber is he's most angry about the the attribution of masturbation, which I find fascinating. Freud does a little bit with it um, in the Schraber case, but, you know, there's so much material that and, and, (laughs) you know, I imagine Freud is is. It's sad he didn't get to work with this patient by himself. But I, Elliot, I would ask you, I, I made this claim and I could be totally wrong, but do you find it interesting that he that Freud is interpreting Schraber through his writing? Do you think this? I mean, my my main question was: do you think Schraber would not have been a a patient he would have rejected because it's not within the the normal wheelhouse of his his his, uh, his patients and their neuroses. Do you think he would have either referred him to another doctor or even potentially to an institution himself, or do you think Schreiber um, would have been, made a would have? There's
3: a question. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what to make of Freud's interpretation of Schreiber, but I, I don't I don't trust Freud's pathologizing in general. I think gotcha. his out- hit I like his negative structural approach which is that the un- you know the unconscious has this linguistic structure dreams have this condensation mm-hmm. displacement feature in terms of you know read interpretation of dreams you might have read it
1: a fine work of literature
3: uh, uh the, the all the structural stuff is extremely useful all the interpretations, not all of them, but he is like really wild with them, and I think that's <laughs> what that's what. So in terms of what Freud would have done, it first of all, Freud was a little fascist, quite frankly, um, <laughs> in terms of how he treated his how he. So Freud was creating the psychoanalytic school. Right. So he, anyone who deviated slightly from his theories were kicked out, no matter how long. Uh, look at it like a leftist for a second. Um, anyone who deviated slightly from his opinion was line, yeah. immediately booted. Even, even, you know, even Stalin wouldn't dream now wouldn't dream of such a strict adherence to doctrine because you know someone said maybe this is involved and right ranky's gone, this person's gone. Jung is obviously way gone. So, Freud himself was a bit of a. He believed in hierarchy. He believed in a kind of a hyper. You could say reactionary style authoritarian approach of of micro politics, if not general politics, which he was a I guess kind of a li- a liberal, a left, uh, you know, a standard liberal. But so in terms of would Freud have taken this patient? I almost think whether or not the avant garde. I would say that's the worst part of Freud, and he's correctly critiqued for it, uh, which is his his little nuances of his. Really, this absolutely psychopathic approach to interpersonal relationships. You know, all, you know, some, I, know the way I could describe it. I almost don't care. I think he might. I think he might have taken him as a patient just because it's an interesting case. Right. Um, yeah. But, but um, you know, Schreiber is highly delusional. So whether or not he would take a patient like this, I think it's possible. But yeah, not sure. Not sure. At the same time, I Lacan and Freudianism is not a blank check for Freud's interpersonal, highly abusive tendencies, I would say. Including who he'd take as a patient, which I don't really go fuck he should have.
0: <laughs> you know?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I can <laughs> go either way. I can go, I
2: guess it's a. It, it is a moot point, right? But it, it, it's it, you know it's obvious that from Freud's own writing on Schreiber that you know, if Freud would have been as productive in the sessions, you know, it would it would definitely have intrigued Freud. I just, I guess, I was. It was it was really what you said at the end. This his delusional aspects. Maybe Freud would have, as we see in his in his casework on him, would have maybe compared to the memoirs tried to constrict these notions of you know, the of God with with the different separations, God being stupid, all this it back into the edible framework, right? Back into the father or the brother and all this stuff and whether or not that would have prevented Schreiber from even undertaking the writing of his memoirs. Right. So it's all I mean, obviously, this is all just intellectual exercise, but it, it does feel like something that that perhaps would have been detrimental to Schreiber's own articulation of his of his experience
1: just for the listener i just want to point out quickly that typically freud was only dealing with neurotics he was not in into dealing with schizophrenics
2: blues and Guattari say right he he hates schizophrenics they're just yeah. like philosophers right
1: right because they resist Oedip- edipalization within or at least that's what they say in A- in chapter one of anti-edipus right or am i my, my, am i conflating no that's it yeah
3: My experience with working with highly schizophrenic individuals with auditory hallucinations who are absolutely certain of their delusions and they will not change them, you can help a schizophrenic like that, but you will not change their, a lot of times you'll not change their general position towards reality or their foreclosures. You can make them more functional, but if you try to, you know, don't try to unforeclose the symbolic and have them participate because it just won't work.
2: Um so, so I guess that's what I meant was like, do you think the talking cure then would would have been something that that Schreiber wouldn't be amenable to, I guess. Is, yeah, I
3: think so yeah, I think that's I think that's that's a a real concern in terms of to what extent could Schraber be quote unquote cured, right? Right. What would being cured be? I, you know, because he was highly functional. Yes. You know, very obviously, talked talking to him about work, family, this kind of stuff, and saying it's like, well, you know, this is all true. How does this affect the law? Do you still kind of uphold the law because of this? Does this change the law? Does this change your work? Does this change your family? And then, you know, i would, you know, working with the judicial system, you would say like, well, it seems like this doesn't affect these areas and it's no kind of different than a kind of odd religious belief right that would be my approach but that's like uh, like i said you can click it in a place fairly easily what freud would have done with it in terms of could you get him to stop being delusional right um versus versus kind of like recognizing that the schizophrenic is kind of immune to recapture right immune to edipalization, right which 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 is it you know you can fight that as a mental health worker but you're in my experience you're just you just with somebody who is actively like hallucinating and I've dealt with people you know that you know auditorily hallucination but also like visual hallucinations where you wake up and you're visually hallucinating auditorily hallucinating so imagine this because people do hallucinate you wake up and you kind of don't know if you're in a dream or not because you're visually hallucinating and you're also hearing shit so you're up but your perceptions just you know in a very pragmatic way just um, so so other stuff is going on so to try to edipalize them as the end game i don't know if it's possible really it might be possible but i would say it's i can understand why freud would get frustrated because it wouldn't it wouldn't stick right i mean it it wouldn't
2: it wouldn't stick you know it would uh it it would seem like schraber would would be it it seemed like his delusional state would be too, too strong for it. I mean, this is why I, I mean, honestly, his own form of therapies is writing these memoirs after the fact Yeah, that was his way of capturing, you know, I, gosh, I I forget, I don't know if this was Zizek or, or someone with, within this, the little circle of thinkers that I associate with him, but there was, you know, the story about this, 14th century monk who's overcome with these visual hallucinations, these delusions of these, these mandalas, and they were overwhelming and almost paralyzing to the point of catatonia until one day he, he starts to draw them and and get regain little by little, some of his power, right? So this diagramming of the, of the delusions and, and representing them, symbolizing them gave him little by little more and more freedom back into his life. And, and, Calm yeah. the the delusions, and it feels like some of that is going on with Straber's his memoirs, and and why he why he wants to dedicate his book to science. And it's it's interesting that w- the one of the, I mean, even though it's one of the most, if not the most written about case in the history of psychoanalysis. I mean, the fact that he's not taken up by scholars of theology, right? He's taken up by the Freudian school and by by psychoanalysis, which has some aspects where you know it. I, I thought it was interesting what you said earlier, Elliot, about like it's not a science; it's it is this it is this art, this practice. You know, you're what you were talking about with neg- negative structural uh, approach. But you know, Freud still, even at the end of his life, seemed to hold on to this idea that that psychoanalysis could be based on scientific principles, and if not merely be an empirical science could function with a scientific edifice right and so whether Schraber got what he wanted uh, you know it's kind of like the be careful what you wish for thing right um it's hard to say yeah, if,
3: sci-
2: yeah go scientific
3: ahead. principles there's plenty of attempts you know you could you could look at smart goals you could but you know more interestingly to people you can look at neuroscience mm-hmm. neuropsychoanalysis which is kind of a meme in some which is you're sent you're sentenced to the to the void for the crime of neuropsychoanalysis. <laughs> ultimate like like why are you doing this which of course freud would be himself would be interested in his very first works, he's
2: he's he's trying to he's trying to work out these neurological problems right and it's out of that that he starts to develop the scientific postscript and these other we can call them pseudoscientific but i try to think that in any case it, i guess the I had a question for you, Elliot, and and for you, Coop. There is a page, Lacan talks about the psychotic as a martyr. His point being that whereas the neurotic is a martyr in the sense of bearing witness and giving a testimony that is closed, right, And, and, and so this gets to the topic of translation that we brought up last time in foreign languages, the psychotic's testimony is open and we do see lacan playing i don't know if you'd call him a metaphor but playing with the the notion of open closed circuits right we could talk about it in terms of presence absence or plus minus as well i thought that was interesting i don't have the page number on me and wait it's on page 132
1: okay yeah i think i've got that up where it's the paragraph starts in short it could be said that the psychotic is a martyr of the unconscious that's right Giving, the, giving this term martyr its meaning, which is to be a witness, it's an open testimony. The neurotic is also a witness to the existence of the unconscious. He gives close testimony that has to be deciphered. The psychotic in this sense in which he is in the first approximation, an open witness seems arrested, immobilized in a position that leaves him incapable of authentically restoring the sense of what he witnesses and sharing it in the discourse of others. I try to get you to see the difference there is between open and closed discourse on the basis of a homology. And you will see that in the normal w- world of discourse, there is a certain dissymmetry that has already adumbrates this dissymmetry issue in the opposition between neurosis and psychosis.
2: Yeah, I thought that was interesting about, I mean, obviously, Straver gets to a point where he can share in an admirable way, whether or not, we, obviously, we, we don't we don't see what he sees and hear what he hears and participate directly, but he finds a manner in which he very articulately, you know, even Lacan like marvels at his descriptions of God and says that you could, you know, he's, even if he's skeptical a little bit of how he describes God, it's, it's, it's as though you could find this in nuanced theological discussions. Right. And so I guess, I didn't know if you guys had a takeaway about or had anything else to say about the psychotic and an open bearing witness, because it makes sense yeah. from what we've talked about with the neur- neurosis being closed and having to be deciphered. But um, yeah. may- maybe- What's well, the is- difference
3: between metonymy and and the Freudian method of uncovering repression, right? You uncover repression through free association, mm-hmm. but metonymy is, you hear word salad. A lot of times when people are speaking quote unquote word salad, I understand exactly what they're saying. It's just so highly- Metaphorical, that is, you know, incomprehensible. It doesn't work as day-to-day speech, where it will frighten you if you see someone on the corner, kind of speaking this kind of language of the unconscious, bearing witness to the unconscious, the metonymy, the immediate, the immediate kind of content just appearing. Yeah. So the psychotic, the psychotic cannot enter the symbolic because they're always kind of in this. One, it could be metonymy or immediate kind of switch. Mm-hmm. or two it could be totally superficial, which is the frustrating part for Freud, which is you you try to analy- you try to highlight a word and then free associate and you say it's like, oh, we had a really tender moment uh, tender tendies, uh, and <laughs> ten, the number 10 uh, end, right Yes, then right So you get this this psychotic superficial stuff or you could get the immediate, Rather, you get just immediate, total word salad metaphor, but is actually saying there actually is a line of the symptom within it, right. which is hard. Yeah, interesting. The problem with the psychosis, and there's another. I don't know where it is in seminar three, but my favorite metaphor is the person who's deaf trying to understand sign language. Yeah, but he's entranced by the woman. Doing the sign language. Her beautiful hands,
1: he says, right? Her
3: beautiful hands, right? Exactly.
1: Diamond hands. Um,
3: Yeah. So you can't understand it. There is no communication happening, right? And in the psychotic, they may bear witness to their unconscious, but if you can't communicate, interesting, you're out of the game of social reality.
1: What relation does that have to asignifying or asignification, Taylor? You.
2: In that example, and I was looking for it, but it, it, we can we can talk about it a little bit more. And, you know, in that example of this was what I brought up a little bit about earlier about the anticipation of meaning. Mm-hmm. Right. And how even with a deaf mute, they can on the one hand, they can read lips. But if they're reading lips of, a, of someone speaking a foreign language, it's just as much as if we hear the foreign language, we still hear the words, but the sentence I, is dead. Yeah. Right. As, as Lacan says. And um, the same thing would be the deaf mute interpreting sign language. If he's fascinated by the beautiful hands of, of the interlocutor, he sees the signs, but doesn't make out their meaning. Right. right. So it's kind of like dead against dead sentences, dead signifiers with the a signifying. You know, Lacan gives certain examples of signifiers that signify nothing. Right. This there was the session about the the primordial signifier and this kind of interesting hypothesis. There was, gosh, yeah, that's on the rejection of a primordial signifier, which may be, you know, exactly where that comes up, but I'm not sure. But there was also, he talks about the difference between interpreting coffee grounds versus deciphering hieroglyphics. Right. Right. So, um, you know, this notion of, he gives the three different stages, right? The notion of there's like biological signs that don't necessarily signify anything or there's no one at the limit, like say in science, oh, uh, he's like, you know, you can't say that that Einstein's equations are signifying, but you know, at the limit they have a meaning, they just don't have anyone to signify it, right? Or something like that. And then of course, after the biological signs, there's the the notion of the trace, Right, are like the footprints in the sand with Robinson Caruso. Yeah, yeah, with the signifier proper. So, you know, I think with the with the a signifying even the, you know, with Lacan even with um, the plus minus in the game of chance, you need a you need a string of three for him to say that there's a temporal chain, and for us to then say that there's a signifier proper. He might be building off of seminar two. When he's talking about that, but Bruce Fink does a really good little introductory breaking down of this in um, in one of his first books on Lacan. I forget the title. Anyway, let's
3: see. is it a clinical introduction to Lacanian I don't know. It's yeah,
2: this one, the Lacanian
1: subject.
3: Yeah, um, that's a
2: really good little intro. But he he breaks down there needing to be a sequence of three in the game of chance, plus minus, right, heads tails for there to be a chain, for there to be something like the the signifier. So yeah, I mean, with the, with the A signifying though with Lacan, instead of going into Guattari and his crazy wild stuff, you know, with Lacan, he's interested in what we were talking about when he talks about, he gives the German unsinn, right? The non meaning, the nonsense stuff that's precisely what Elliot was describing with um, with the deaf mute not you know being entra- being entranced by the by the beautiful hands and not not uh, so you, you're, you're seeing the hands but you, you it's like the force of the trees kind of thing right you right this is precisely the you
1: listen to a song you don't always necessarily register the lyrics right you know what I mean sometimes you can get your you're sort of you're hearing the the singer, right, sing and they're speaking, or they're, you know, they're speaking, but you're not. It's not. Great example. It's not connecting. It's not communicating yeah. anything.
3: How often does Which that happen? Super... That happens so often. Oh yes, yeah. Right. Even when the lyrics are intelligible. Right. You're not hearing
1: them. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, in not... in particular, in a repetitional sense, as you listen to a song more and more, then that the experience of of signification. Really diminishes, it seems like, at a certain point. Like, eventually, it's just this weird physical experience almost. I don't know. Before we jump another topic, would be to help, I think, myself and the listener. I think this maybe drawing out the difference between repression and foreclosure might be useful for me for sure. Just to, I mean, you can kind of see where there's a difference, but just to flesh that out a little bit.
2: I have something real quick, and then I'll let Elliot, because I know with your experience, I defer to it, but I, I just think that for Lacan, the prototype of, for verfung, which is a fun word to say, right? Foreclosure, or I think sometimes it's translated repudiation and strachy, uh, it's the Wolfman, right? And there's a scene in the Wolfman case that Freud describes where the young Wolfman, I don't know. I don't believe he's ever named. We know he's a Russian and uh, an emigre and has all these interesting backgrounds. But he has a hallucination, kind of a dreamlike state where his finger gets almost basically cut off. Right. And it's just hanging by a little piece of skin. And Freud wagers that. And this is on page 149. Freud says, that the subject did not want to know anything about castration, even in the sense of repression. So this quasi psychotic delusional hallucination of the stand for for castration was something that was uncovered in the uh, in the three or four years of analysis that the Wolfman participated in with Freud, and it was uh, and so this is one of the few places that Freud brings out this notion of uh, Verwerfung, the foreclosure as Lacan will call it that he's this was something that wasn't symbolized right and so it reappears re in the real hallucinatorily. but that's just the example that Freud gives I know that Elliot would be able to <laughs> talk about this a little bit with more experience
3: it's a lot of pressure on me I'm sorry I didn't mean to do I didn't mean to put pressure <laughs> on you Elliot. no 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 I I should foreclose the pressure I should yeah there you <laughs> go. I'm capable of anything that's right any definition I give will be acceptable, and I will be correct because I'm I foreclose foreclose the, the authority of of um the exact foreclosure text. When I think of foreclosure, I think I you know I, you think of the symbolic the name of the father right being kind of as it says in uh, seminar three unsymbolized reemerges in the real. But when I think of foreclosure, I think of a no being negated once more, right? A negation of the no. You're not dealing with productive desire in a kind of delusional sense, but you're dealing with a no, which is then said no to once more. For instance, you enter into, there's lots of opportunities here in the UK to, I would say become psychotic because there's so <laughs> much bureaucracy. Um, so to say no to, the, to a no, which is necessary to function in this bureaucracy I don't think it's too difficult here, right? Versus repression is you're doing something in the symbolic, but nonetheless you're following. You have not said no to the no, so repression will. Repression is okay. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this, and soon I'll be and then imit you know ideal. Soon if I'm doing this, I will be great. No, I'm a fuck up, right? That's repression. It's very different versus you just immediately reject all forms of entrance into the symbolic order. I think Lacan would probably have a, a much more detailed analysis of it than that. I don't think I do full justice to the Lacanian <laughs> definition of foreclosure, but I think a really kind of good, useful one, and I'm always, I'm always coming from a clinical psychotherapy perspective. Keep in mind, I'm never really coming from Pure scholarship. So you know, I talked with Peter Matthews, who wrote Lacan the Charlatan. He's a really now he's not a practicing therapist. He really went through and analyzed every single one of Lacan's detractors and why these critiques are kind of so weak. Right. He never gets to losing Gattari. Interestingly, it's a whole other book, right?
2: It'd be a whole other
3: yeah. It would be wouldn't it? I'm not coming from a scholarship perspective, but I like to think of heuristics for Lacan because he is such a difficult thinker but yeah to say when you are to follow the no and then ultimately you hit something which which is the failure of of the imaginary the failure of the ideal eventually you'll hit it you're following the no and you hit it and then this repressed content that it represents comes up versus you're just not even you don't entertain the no in the first place that's foreclosure
2: I like that way of putting it, you know, because Lacan goes on to say that what is foreclosed is the primordial signifier. And this is why I think it's important to remember the, the relationship between the wolf man not even entertaining the idea of saying no to or well, not even being unable to repress the castration complex that he's entering into or, or the, the symbol of castration saying no to that. No, not but not wanting to know anything about it. And Lacan says later that the repressed or the neurotic, even if he says no originally to that which is repressed, it's it's it, he knows very well, even you know much much better than, than one would think. He he knows very well what is being repressed, and that's the interesting dialectic of the internal and the, the external, yeah. right? Because with repression. It's still theoretically an internal repress, right? What you're repressing is, you know, depending on the framework we use. But but in general, you're repressing the drives and the satisfaction yeah. of a partial drive or something that would yield on pleasure, et cetera. With foreclosure, it is something that is involves an outside, right? It involves yeah, this,
3: sensitive sensitive to displeasure is a good is a good mm-hmm. way to put it. Um, I think something that might surprise you about psychotics is is you could say there something maybe Sterner would appreciate the obduracy. Of, that's the trans. I love the first translation. I like the first translation. I'm a first translation <laughs> kind of guy. I love his like uh, Edwardian language, or maybe Lake. I forget when it's translated Lake Victorian Edwardian. I totally forgot my train of thought. What the <laughs> fuck were we? Talking? You you were talking about
2: you're talking about this uh, <laughs> this question of displeasure. This question. Oh uh...
3: yes, you will be surprised at the obduracy of the psychotic. In my clinical practice, you meet people that are highly delusional or highly you know, highly hallucinatory. Something that is pretty universal is there's something that they're hitting against with great force, which is a basic kind of social function, and that's not. And I think in terms of what would frustrate Freud more than that. You know, Shreber, I'm sure I don't know what his kind of what it was like to interact with him. But I, I mean, I could pretty much guarantee that something was the force which he was saying no to a societal function was great enough that it scared people because it scared people. It locked. They locked. Them. And, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, as a you know, working in South Central Los Angeles, even just talking to caseworkers about Foucault, basic prison, Foucault is really important. Like we talk with Khan but you know it's really important. Just introducing people who can take people's families apart. Just introducing them to the prison quote, right? Which is so somebody gets in a fight in a group therapy setting. They're like, you know, fuck this therapist, fuck you, fuck you, fuck all this. This happened, and I was consulted, and I said, so hold up, they and they wanted to do all this stuff. I said think about this idea. So I'm like a subtle anarchist in this, like, (laughs) but I'm just like, listen, I said, okay, I I can hear you say that you want to do this, but think about this. Is it really a crime for somebody to go into a group therapy session and say, they don't fucking like this person. They don't like this person who is leading the session. No, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's kind of under, you know, it's, Understandable for somebody who doesn't accept the symbolic uh, of right. the jud of the psychojudicial, you know, which of course in philosophy, plenty of people don't. But when you you don't accept it at the expense of your ability to keep your kids, there's a very powerful no happening. And you know how how power reacts to that is to say, well. Well, fuck you. I have power and I'm going to I'm going to take this away. 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 I'm not going to give you access to this. Um, Deal with it. Right. But nonetheless, as we are talking about um, Lacan and all these kind of, you know, this is good for treating people. But a lot of times just even a basic acceptance of the Lusian kind of ideology is important as well, which is the psychotic has a right to exist right? The psychotics, no of a no, is not grounds for imprisonment. And it's not grounds for necessarily even going in as a psych cop, you really are a psych cop at that point, and changing their ideological framework. It's one thing they say, fuck the system on Twitter. (laughs) And it's another thing. And this is a real example to say, fuck the system to a cop, and to hit a social worker, like with throw, you know, throw an object at a social worker, like get out of my house, you're not welcome in my neighborhood. Fuck the system, I'm in South Central, fuck you, I don't care what anyone says about me. That's very different. <laughs> yeah. um, so then how do you work with somebody like that, right? In terms of there's also, there might also be hallucinations to some extent or delusional thinking to some extent, but ultimately you find this no of a no this kind of foreclosure within the symbolic order, you know, and symbolic order can be something like just a series of tasks. Uh, talk to a Lacanian analyst. Symbolic order can be parking spaces. It's something, it's a no, which allows society to function. A parking space allows society to function. Stop um, sign. Stop sign allows society to function. Exactly. So, huh. yeah, when you have someone who says, I don't believe in red lights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is where the psych cop comes in. Where well, this yeah. is where society comes in. Right now, you're a danger to society.
2: You exactly, have to be reformed. Dangerous.
3: Yeah. You're dangerous. Now the you know the phrase is you might have heard it before: a danger to yourself and or others. Yes. You know, there's more than that, which is you know also if you t- can't take care of yourself. But that's the same part of the framework. But you hear danger to yourself and others, and to what it, to the extent that that it gets used. describe the psychotic because they're they're, their no their no of the no is so jolting to a bureaucrat right there's a real question of when the state comes in and if you're an anarchist you might even you know there's lots of things you could do although now i'm a i don't work in community mental health now i'm a now i do remote therapy um but but in terms of there's lots of places where you have one person who can really determine lives for people really determine there are these key psych top checkpoints and sometimes they need to be utilized, right? Sometimes it's not necessarily psychosis that, that they, you know, could be, but they've said no to say, Oh, I'm going to beat my wife and kid. Right. Then I, you know, it's like, Oh, here's luckily the symbolic order is there. I can make a report about it. I can, you know, you know, kid has X symptoms, which are, clearly from being hit, which are very like, wife has X, and, and, you know, I don't need to fix that, but I can, I can use the symbolic order to help that family, which maybe a psychotic wouldn't be able to do, because a psychotic would be like, oh, well, you should fucking kill him, right? Um, <laughs> because, they're, they're, you know, the state, because fuck the system, fuck the state, you know, fuck this, uh, this, that. So you can see where psychosis can be frustrating, where symbolic function that, that you're talking, that's three links. But oftentimes it's not three links. Oftentimes it's reality. You know, you don't have access to entire planes of symbolic function uh, because you can't make that first yes. So the psychotic. The psychotic is a <laughs> the per- people get frustrated. I like to say I'm a dirtbag leftist, which means I'm too lazy to be to say the right thing. So you're, some people don't like saying the psychotic. Then you say, I'm a dirtbag leftist. I say things like the psychotic. Oh, there we go. It's cured. I'm registered in the symbolic. See how that works? <laughs> that's like a neuro. That's, that's neurotic. <laughs> that's neurosis versus psychosis. Definitely. I
1: don't know if either of you had a better uh, route to take, but I was kind of interested in just to come back to this, like a signification here. I want to read a little bit of a passage that I, and this is kind of like for Elliot what I find, you know, obviously I appreciate Lacan as I describe him as like a my favorite in terms of being just like a pure thinker. Like he's not the best theorist. He's not the best philosopher. He's not the best therapist or psychoanalyst, but he is one of the greatest pure thought theoretical. His shit is wired real tight. And so, in that appreciation, what I find very compelling and interesting and fascinating are the little nuggets that Guattari takes from Lacan and kind of runs with them. And I mentioned like this, asignification earlier, because that's one of, you know, Guattari talks about these asignifying ruptures as being like, so I think key to like what, to his project, just to kind of contextualize this for you, but I'm gonna go ahead and read from the text here. The delusional intuition is a full phenomenon that has an overflowing inundating character for the subject. It reveals a new perspective to him. One whose stamp of originality, whose characteristic savor. He emphasizes, as Schreiber does in speaking of the fundamental language to which his experience introduced him. There, the word with its full emphasis, as when one says the word for, the solution to an enigma is the soul of the situation. At the opposite pole, there is the form that meaning takes when it no longer refers to anything at all. This is the formula that is repeated, reiterated, drummed in with a stereotyped insistence. It's what we might call, in contrast to the word, the refrain, which I thought again refrains a particular interest in, in terms of Guattari's work. But like to take that back to this a signification and Schreiber and the refrain and Lacan and his use of it. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting potential little kind of way for us to all like kind of meet at this little juncture point and and build or what, you, perhaps- what
3: comes to mind when you what's your theoretical knowledge about kind Of refrain when I hear refrain in the context of Deleuze Guattari, I think repetition, uh, right.
1: right? Yeah, because think we're repetition. thinking about you know, I don't know if you've read Proust and Signs that Deleuze wrote, and Guattari gets into this too in Machinic Unconscious about Proust. What's the work? Uh, I forget though, what is the title of the it, book? It's
2: just, sometimes it's just called the Recherche, you can call it In Search of Lost Time, in
1: search of lost time, right? What is a Ventui's little phrase? Is this mm-hmm. little melody. That triggers, I guess, these flood of memories within or within. I forget which is it, Swan or the.
2: Well, the Madeline narrative. in the narrative. The Madeline is okay. It, it triggers the memories. The refrain. It's at first. It's it's because it's a signifying. Uh, at first, it doesn't really even. It's kind of like the. It's kind of like seeing the hands and not seeing the, yeah, the yeah. hand signals, right? I mean, right. At first, it 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 doesn't it doesn't have any you could say deterritorializing effect but eventually it leads to reconstructing all of uh, the narrator's desire i just think of refrain as guattari is is really interested in how much emphasis lacan puts on ethology specifically bird ethology and you know imprinting and these other things to understand how in the animal world images play the role of I think in this text is called captivating or sometimes it's called captating in the earlier translations. It's about how the, uh, the, the mirror image of the, you know, these animals are primed to uh, instinctually to have a number of different mechanisms, including hormones, et cetera, to trigger nest building and mating rituals and these other things and one of the roles of the refrain uh, in birds, especially, is to uh, delimit a territory and to ward off other males because it's the male that's singing in order to entice the female. And if other, if other male birds of the same species come in within that range, there is conflict. There is Then there is a different release, which is aggressivity et cetera. I mean, Lacan stays very close to all of this when he's talking about the imaginary. And so, you know, the refrain is, has to do with establishing a base level territory, including consistency, because when Deleuze and Guattari, one of the interesting little things they talk about is the the little boy walking by the the cemetery and he whistles a refrain to himself in order to keep his world from... Disintegrating into anxiety and chaos um, with these fears of the dead, et cetera. So, I mean, one base level is this question of re-territorializing this is the territorializing function, because it can be re-and-deterritorializing. We know that in capitalism, the jingle has a re-territorializing function of promoting good consumerism, et cetera. But with Montuel's little phrase, what Cooper's getting at, right, that there is this, it is this kind of hyper-deterritorialized mental object that takes the narrator on, on a line of flight that gets him out of certain impasses constituted by another imaginary relation, which is faciality, right? He's starting to go down the same route that Swan went to uh, with this obsessional jealousy with the face of the beloved one. And it's spontaneous phrase. Ever, y'all
3: ever have a face?
2: I mean, <laughs> <kind of> like...
3: <laughs> no, I take I, the I face that God I, has given
2: me and I make <laughs>
1: another one.
3: You guys are better with the quips. That's one thing. That's one thing. I do know this. It, it's, it's, a
1: defense, it's a defense mechanism. <laughs> yeah, defense exactly. Mechanism. Right, right, exactly. What do we think about though? Cause Taylor, what this is from, this actually takes me back to kind of a little bit, the refrain in terms of what Elliot was describing with the parking spaces in the symbolic and mm, yes, right. Cause that's the kind of territorialization aspect of it. But to tie this back to Schraber, am I remembering correctly? That didn't, it was the birds weren't birds involved. Didn't they? Have, oh yes. They spoke to him, right?
2: Yes. So it's, it's like an appendix to straight the Schreiber case. But one of the things that I'm trying to remember if it's Mrs. Dalloway or if it's to the lighthouse where Virginia Wolf talks about the main character, hearing flocks of birds singing and they're speaking Greek. With Schreber, the birds are speaking to him in the, in the, in the elementary or fundamental language, however it's translated this sort of proto-ancient German. And Freud makes this connection to, um, to the birds representing little girls, right? And he goes into like a, this kind of mythological reading and totems and stuff it's not it's not super important but Deleuze and Guattari they find this to be a re reterritorializing of Schreber by reintroducing this kind of pseudo familial interpretation but i know that Lacan mentions it very briefly and says it's like a brilliant it just kind of shows Freud's brilliance to be able to short circuit you know to connect this the bird singing to the to these these flocks of little girls and to and go are of the opposite opinion. <laughs> um, um, but, but yes, it, it is interesting that, that here I would just really quickly talk about refrains. This is not how they defined them in the 11th. Plateau, before, but, yeah.
3: Before we go, yeah. go on, can we talk about that metaphor in terms of, in terms of a Freudian molecule, like okay. a content, a condensation, right? Why, this is how I look at self-interest. Why is it in Schraber's what is the force of Block the Bird speaking Proto-Germanic? That's the real question for me. It's right? supposed to
2: be the, the language of God, right? That the God that the God whom Schraber is constantly in contact with, at least insofar as he is this great personages personage, and God is demanding this stream, this continuous stream of uh, voluptuousness and, and pleasure from him as long as Schraber is continuing to think there is this yeah the there force is this of relationship God in the
3: world right. right sounds very like Hegel no. so the birds singing in the beautiful way is they're actually out I will just kind of ignore Freud's side short circuit <laughs> just kind of say and just kind of like point out it. you know there might be a truth to it somewhere in the force, but the significant or the, I would call it the defining force, right? So you have lots of different forces at work. It's like, but why is this what is articulated? For instance, you know, there might be lots of reasons that you raise your hand in class or something, but ultimately you could say it's to be called upon and and to speak your answer or whatever, but it also might be because you heard a word that also made you kind of, oh, I know this word but say you're like really trying to get an A in the class of participation, I would say that's the primary force. So in terms of Schreber's kind of primary motive, this is God in the world. So he's imagining the force of his religious tech. You know, there is a rationale. That's what I what I really try to get across. The, there's this great potential of self-interest in psychoanalysis to simply get it right, right? <laughs> I mean, Freud might have been a genius for short-circuiting, but we can get it right in terms of... This is a molecule presented to us, condensed. You know, I didn't have the answer. And Taylor, you had the answer, which I think (laughs) is really a good answer. It's God in the world that only he has access to. He has primary administrative power. No one else has it. He is Jesus in the way. And this is the fantasy. This is the fantasy that overrules his judgeship. It overrules his family. Right. This fantasy is the strongest force in his life. Basically, what I'm saying is we solved it and no one else did. <laughs> you know, it's easy to be right, but it's not fancy. <laughs> well, it's it's. It, I mean, as we said earlier about
2: Lacan, it's it's much more productive and interesting when we sort of are. You know, we we allow ourselves to misunderstand and misrecognize, yeah. and we go through that. You know, that's. I mean, Deleuze yeah. himself kind of restates that in his preface to Difference Repetition that it's like we're only interesting when we're thinking and writing sort of on the edge of our knowledge, right? Otherwise we're, otherwise we're, we're just.
3: There's something else. Regurgitating,
2: no. right. Or something no, like that. No, no,
3: no. There's something else that Deleuze and Freud are both doing. Even if they say that in Lacan as well Is they're decoding, mm. they're trying to, they're, they're creating the cipher
1: for decoding libidinal flows maybe Yeah. or (laughs) yeah
3: they're trying to understand the libidinal they're trying to free them from freud's decoding it's like that's not decoding that's not a knife this is a knife that's not decoding (laughs) this is decoding right and similarly (laughs) that's what that's what i'm saying it's like that you Uh, think that's that's decoding this is decoding
2: i agree with that i I do think that you know, you see a resistance in works like Anti-Oedipus to Freud, while deciphering and translating the unconscious is subtly overcoating it with these Oedipal elements or with these superstructural elements yeah. that lock them and freeze them in place so that they can be manipulated like a Rebus.
3: Yeah. You know, the power of psychoanalysis is, neg- is negative. There are productive desires, but ultimately you're positing a desire is good, which is once again, ideology, I have to be, I have to be a blow, (laughs) you know, I have to be a blow for some reason. I can't be, I can't have a mommy GF or whatever, (laughs) or something stupid like that. No, but really it's, you're positing a a method of enjoyment and, you know, you know, what makes Zizek so important, which is he's non-positive, what is communism, which he kind of holds fast to. And sometimes he's, I just want a bureaucracy that functions or some stupid thing. But really it's it's the power of to decode what's happening and not say this has to be something else, right? The is odd. We don't have to be Sam. You know, everyone makes fun of Sam Harris, the is odd, but isn't the lose and Freud both aren't they both is oughting synthesis? If you just say is, right? What is schreiber schreiber is, you know, schreiber is seeing the fantasy. He's the psychotic who's he said no to. His job based, the no to the family. <laughs> like, okay, I don't, me personally, I don't think that's as based because, you know, 21st century Twitter takes down some weird past. Uh, but, you know, say say no to your job. I think that, I think we can all agree that's based and based in the, and the left acceleration, tilde. However, you right. want to say that. There's lots of different <laughs> schools that say fuck, fuck work. The psychotic is a very interesting subject. They're on these lines of like, we could look at Justin Murphy you know, what line of flight is he on? What has he said no to, you know, you can look at uh, Nick Land, what has he said no to, right? There's a power of psychosis to say, that will take you on a a journey of figuring out a, or trying to figure out a slice of reality. In certain ways, there's a power that the myth produced right by the psychotic, you know, takes you to these realms that you can't get to by simple decoding. That's why I do appreciate like, people who create right the miscommunication or the mythologizing or the gap between the spoken and simple equality between I'm speaking the truth. I'm de- fully decoded. It doesn't fun. It ceases to function, right? I say that about Schreber. It ceases to function, right. doesn't it? There are these, the, the psychotic subject is a powerful, is a powerful subject. And they're, they are, you know, they are reach. They might reach some shit that you don't know.
2: I, I do think that one of the things you said was really interesting and, and clicked for me was about you know Schreiber saying no to the family. And one of the things we we should remember is with his
1: the, yeah, his wife could not, or one of them were they 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 failed to have children, right?
2: Right, yeah, and and yeah. his older brother killed himself, so Schreiber bore the responsibility of continuing the Schreiber line, and. We hear very early on in the Schraber case that this is one of the reasons why his wife was so happy the first time Fleschig supposedly <laughs> cured him and brought him brought Schreiber back to her, so that they could try again supposedly. But by the second time, he's he's put into the asylum with these, which with this delusion that begins with what if what would it be like to to copulate Experience. like a woman? Yeah, right. Now he enters this delusion of all humans have to the the whole earth needs to be repopulated so he he has this interesting so another potential signifier that is foreclosed for him is father uh yeah, that displaced it, onto the earth yeah displaced right. onto the earth but in and yes and displaced onto god as uh, you know um this interesting in german unlike in many other languages the the word son as we know Sun, as in like the star uh, that gives us life is, is' feminine in most languages it's it's male, so there is this interesting feminine male switch that that schraber now because what is literally foreclosed to him what is impossible is to become a legitimate literal father he has to become you know he has to become uh, become wife, become mother and who better than with, with God right I mean if you're going to have a gonna have a husband. You're gonna have a someone to procreate with. So I, I think that some of that ideational stuff, some of the, the foreclosure stuff, needs to be remembered. His the the end of the family line is a trope going back at least as far to the Odyssey and Odysseus' struggles to get back to Penelope, if not even further back. You know, we could think of even Gilgamesh and Enkidu and their primordial male female symbolic union. But anyway, yeah, I guess that that's, you, you maybe think about it, the importance it is for Schreber, this notion, because we do see in Lacan, he has that interesting story about, he talks about the the worker, what is it? Is it an Eastern European worker? And he has the accident on the tram, and then starts to have these ideations about what it is to become a woman, and what it is to procreate. I think that some of that stuff may seem,
3: Yeah,
2: I know Lacan doesn't directly quote
3: Schraber there, but it, it the actually accident. has a lot to do with, with Schraber's case. The event the event, or the accident provoking some kind of break, right? some kind of shift.
1: Right. I had a couple of things to just to build off of what you were talking about. One, I just wanted to remind you what one of the little interesting details about because you talked about the first about Schraber's wife, and one little kind of interesting note is that remember, she they hang a picture of Fleschig up within the home, right? She's so pleased and thrilled to have Schraber back home that she actually ha- hangs up a
2: photograph of him or kind of idealizing him as a hero, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, which, well, and that kind of family. goes
1: what's the late like link between that and this and this sort of Perhaps relationship, I guess, of the psycho, the hallucinogen, hallucinations, re in terms of God, fleshig, etc. Right, because of the iconography, almost hanging a picture of Jesus in your, you know what I mean, in yeah, your home right. or something like that. Right. He he so
2: becomes what, he becomes a persecuting figure through the faciality of the picture on the wife's desk and his heroic eyes and all this. So yeah, he's he is the the figure of why can't you be like fleshig. Right. right, and y- the y- failure K- to you.
1: produce the offspring as well, yeah. like that, I think also perhaps, I don't know, there's some kind of interesting link there. Aside from that, just broadly in terms of Lacan's kind of a voice that one thing that he says directly in Seminar 3 that I like, and he kind of mentioned this off and on in like different facets, is how key that misunderstanding is to language and communication in this kind of, in this structural sense, right, which I think is interesting. That sort of paradigm is one thing that I enjoy about Lacan is he has the negative, it's taking this negative, I don't know, it's almost like a joke. It's almost the same function, like you're heading in one direction, and then he will totally flip it back, right? To where, right, logically it doesn't make sense. Mis- how the fuck is misunderstanding important to communication or language, right? To someone who's not acquainted with psychoanalysis, that doesn't make, that makes zero sense, right? Also lack this negative being a productive force kind of generates the subject and generates desire, etc., cetera, and moves the body. You know, that's an unexpected, that's a reversal in a sense from like a commonsensical kind of standpoint. But I did have to this quote that I want to go on that I think kind of goes down this rabbit hole a bit. When may one really speak of communication? You are going to tell me that it's obvious there has to be a response. This is defensible. It's a question of definition. Shall we say that there is communication whenever a response is registered, but what's a response? There's only one, one way defining it, which is to say that it's when something returns to a starting point. This is the schema for feedback. Every return of something that, having been registered somewhere, thereby triggers an operation of regulation, constitutes a response. And this is where communication begins with self-regulation. But notwithstanding this, are we now at the level of the function of the signifier? I don't think so. In a thermoelectric machine supported by feedback, the signifier is not employed. Why not? Isolating the signifier as such requires something else, which, like any dialectical distinction in the first instance, presents itself in a paradoxical manner. There is appropriate use of signifier whenever at the level of the receiver. What is important is not the effect of the content of the message, nor the triggering in the organ of a given reaction due to the appearance of a hormone, but this that at the message's point of arrival, one makes a note of it. Does this imply a subjectivity? Look at it very closely. It's not certain that it does. What is distinctive about the existence of the signifier as such, the signifier, which I have just been trying one more time to give a precise formulation to, insofar as it's a correlated system of elements that derive their place synchronically and diachronically in relation to one another. This is incredibly dense. There's all kinds of, this little quote is so packed with stuff. And it goes back to that, even that kind of, that paradoxical sort of framework that Lacan often uses, right? It's these, these reversals. But I even think here, I see this sort of very primitive, almost machinic, kind of desiring machine in, in a sense, Yeah. particularly like this last paragraph, the way that he's talking about you know, does this imply a subjectivity? You
3: know, he's talking about Hegel here, you know, Hegel's idea of subjectivity will turn back on itself, right, is the subject, which is a nice, and I think he's, yeah, it's an interesting challenge to that idea that for some reason, if I, for instance, I like mental health, and now I'm, now I'm a therapist talking about mental health, or I'm a kind of mental health subject, a master subject, right? But the feedback, of course, lot you know that it doesn't really work, does it? There's some. There's something missing in that. Right. There's something in this feedback process. There's something. There's something more in that magnet. You know, it doesn't really appear because so there's uh, there's lots of kind of feedback processes.
1: Yeah, I think that even the the A signification thing here also is represented, and because like one thing Taylor and I are. Discussion of the first chapter of Anti-Oedipus, something I have, I mean, I have a hard time grasping like Guattari's whole thing about a-signification and like why we're, I think we're talking about why doesn't RNA signify? And that's kind of what this reminding me of here in this way that he's describing like this machine, right? This,
2: what does he say? Thermoelectric machine? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So this, yeah, this thermoelectric machine and a thermoelectric machine supported by feedback. The signifier is not employed. Well, why not? Isolating the signifier as such requires something else.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's a little bit like how Simondon will define the difference between signs and signifiers, or no, he doesn't use that word, signs and signification. Right? You can have signs passing between machines, between systems, without there being signification. Signification involves the it involves individuated beings. Right. And so this notion of taking a note of it, you know, and and your way of introducing this quote, your question being the role of misunderstanding and misrecognition. Right. If everything that we're talking about now, you know, if between not just the three of us, but between everyone who listens to this, if it's if everything we are saying does does not evoke some sort of train of thought or associative links or different manners of engaging productively with thinking even if it even if it fails and runs against the wall or even if our ideas don't flow there's something more productive in that than everything always already being able to be predicted right and able to be easily ensconced into a system that makes room for it so so you know i think that that's kind of the process of learning the process of education as opposed to Wrote regurgitation or, or or memorizing facts, right? Is is that there's something productive when when something does not pass, and that's precisely, I think, part of why Eliot immediately said that this is this type of thinking is, is Hegelian, right? That in the dialectic, in the, the alpha Bung and, and and all of this, you know, you're you're canceling out, but you're also moving higher. And so not everything passes, not everything is going to make sense on the first pass. And, you know, it requires a kind of patience and a kind of good faith and a kind of charitableness and misreadings are, I've always found them to be productive. You mentioned about listening to songs and not always understanding the lyrics. I mean, some of the funniest things that you, I mean, you, you guys have, you guys know this when you, you hear a song that maybe is very popular but you like productively misunderstand the lyrics and and you you know you may sing them in your head incorrectly but they're but now it's yours now it's a part of your your psychical apparatus right it is it is a part of your one of the refrains that that runs through even if it's highly idiosyncratic or something beautiful about it and i
3: feel like if you're an egoist yeah. you have to be highly idiosyncratic you got to you <laughs> got to you got to you got to support the unique
2: it's maybe that the real
1: or the <coughs> creative nothing or the gap that is productive it's that undetermined space that is what allows that's where the freedom is right you know what i mean it's yeah the, that portion well,
3: escape that, from subjectivity right they yeah escape. that portion
1: that can't be symbolized is that's where the sort of that's the freedom that i think Lacan maybe and certainly sterner would kind of be driving towards is like with the notion of the spooks and like the creative nothing and so
3: forth yeah well desire desire from never becoming subject right to to all these to this the kind of the sterner operation is a very It's a very simple but effective operation. It's the, it's a hysteric operation. It's the no, right? It's, it's not necessarily a foreclosure of any, he understands it. Uh, so I would say he's not psychotic, but he's (laughs) definitely saying, he's saying no to being subjectivized and he's creating this, these knowledges, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, go ahead. Finding his body. Yeah. Finding desire in terms of his desire drive getting so through the, through the kind of, uh, you could say systematize misrecognition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to I like extent. that.
2: Yeah, yeah it, it's yeah, I've called it productive misrecognition. I, the, it's can be creative, and it also, I think. I think Lacan is worried that we pretend we understand when we don't, or that we 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 almost like we repress our misunderstandings because we have this, as Freud talks. I mean, he defines it very clearly or talks about it all the time. This instinct for mastery. Right, we're always trying to. I mean, Elliot brought up the example of the 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 kid in class that is either a know-it-all or a show-off and trying to to demonstrate the mastery. And I think Lacan wants us to be able to to step back and say that like, that's that kind of desire, that kind. Of, it's it's uh, it's potentially, well, specifically in the analytic situation, he's saying that's when we're going to miss everything when we think we understand, right? Uh, when we almost as a mantra, say like, oh, I get it. I get it. When that actually for Lacan means that like something isn't passing, but that's not a creative, you know, impasse. That's that's literally an impasse. It's like you, you, you lose, you lose the drive of curiosity. You lose the drive of, of a kind of openness when you just imagine that, that, that everything is understandable, perfectly understandable. Oh, clearly you're you know clearly it's your father it's your mother that kind of shit yeah.
1: right yeah they,
3: curiosity as desire is certainly foreclosed by the master discourse mm-hmm.
1: i think even it's kind of interesting what you said taylor kind of reminds me of uh, really to like bring in even kind of like derrida and i think you know Lacan as well as this like kind of what you're describing is kind of like this phallocentric ideal right of of rationality and like perfect understanding and so forth. Right. That I think Lacan problematizes and, and Derrida as well. Though it's, I think I sent you both that, the little thing from Derrida's bio Yes, they meet and he says, right. talking about the subject and Lacan is saying, you know, you're, you're already, I've already done what you <laughs> what you're trying to do. Which yeah. I think, he, he was,
2: right. he was, I, I think it was a little bit of trolling. Oh yeah. By Lacan. I think Lacan was, trolling Derrida a little bit and trying to impute that Derrida was not being original and, you know, was actually being, you know, but I I would say that in my
3: actually actually being what, Taylor?
2: (laughs) But that he was being um, it seemed to be implying that he was being narcissistic by claiming originality. Right. And Mm -hmm. Lacan was you know what I mean? Lacan was was kind of making fun of him for for even thinking that originality was a um, was a virtue of some sort, right? Yeah. And I I think Lacan was I, I think Lacan was being well well, we're we're obviously out of context looking at this, but right. I feel like it was it seemed like some shit talk with friends. And I don't think Derrida liked it. Or yeah. or maybe Lacan deadpanned it in a way that, you know, obviously there there could have been malice in it. I don't know. I read sure, it yeah. as
3: I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was malice in it in terms yeah, of Yeah, it is Lacan. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You yeah, can't but bear I my already a, having said
2: what you're saying. That's um
3: enjoyment uh, a repetition is not you can take this from Deleuze, a repetition is not the same thing repeating. That's why it's difference in repetition. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, so you know, Derrida talking about it, it's like maybe maybe it's repetition of Lacan, but I think for Lacan to imply that it's the same is, you know, I think what Deleuze would react against and maybe what the would of course <laughs> be rightful i would say it would be correctly trolled over because it's yeah you know, they're not lacan
2: and uh, lacan is trolling all of us especially in the accree and his writing <laughs> you know he, yeah, he he's just one big troll he's <laughs> but but that i think that that is a part of the the fact that you know for to work through problems is not something that's meant to be easy and it is meant to, we are meant to face frustrations and meant to have to back out of the maze and go a different path and to, to have these false senses of security, you know, obliterated. So yeah, I think that's why Lacan's writing in a Cree um, usually is highly frustrating apart from a couple of, of well-known essays. You know, even the seminars at times are, we could see that he's doing some of this, right? That he's not in part... He, as, as Elliot said, it's, it's problematizing the master discourse that, you know, I'm not, he's not always just going to give us, if he tells the truth, he tells it slant, right? Like we have to, we have to work for it. Right. right. We have to
1: same thing in his concept of paying for the session is if you don't pay for it, there's no libidinal investment in right? the talking cure or whatever. Right.
2: And he gets that straight from Freud.
3: I wonder what he would think of uh, public mental health, which is free. But I guess it
2: still involves a bureaucratic, you know, your taxes are paying for it, right? Or something. Um, But yeah, Coop, I think you're right about the libidinal investment. And Freud, too, is like saying that one of the reasons why this was in the papers on technique is main point was roughly that if you're not paying for it, then you then the subject might not take it seriously and therefore waste the session's time. Right. And therefore not not put himself out there. In fact, in the Wolfman case, uh, originally the Wolfman, it comes from very wealthy means. And so could could potentially pay for these sessions indefinitely and not uh, not be hard pressed by it financially. And after a few years, Freud's finally like, okay, at the end of the year, it's over, we're, we're done. You better get serious about it. And in fact, he notes that that's when the productive shit starts to happen. When he puts that Definite timeline on the Wolfman, that's when things actually kick into gear. So it is about, you can call it a libidinal investment. You know, you can call it just, you know. Well, it's
3: also the introduction of a symbolic of some, a duration.
2: There you go.
1: A territorialization. Well, somewhat, right?
3: Uh, yeah. Nick, how would Nick Land feel about time? Mm-hmm. Time being, <laughs> this is the delusional, hysteric no, right? Which is, which is he's setting a duration. He, he tells ah, oh, you're done and you're off the couch. I remember, I forget where Deleuze writes against this, but he does at one point. Yeah, like you said, it, ha- it has this function of uh, within discourse to create the urgency. Yeah, it's, it's
2: no longer just, they're no longer just playing around. Uh, Freud isn't, it's no longer just that he's got an ear to listen to. It's that, you know, if you want results, if you want to get serious about it, because part of part of his thing with the Wolfman and in the papers on technique is that you know, Freud shows, and Lacan quotes Freud from one of his letters to to Fleece, where it's that the psychotic loves his delusions as much as he loves himself. It's the same thing with some of the papers on technique where Freud is like, there is this, the illness, the neurosis starts to function as a crutch, right? They start to love their, their sickness. It starts to having these secondary benefits. I, I forget exactly how the terminology is, but there is this there's this benefit of being ill that they start to lean on, right? Because because now it's it's it can either be used as as an excuse or for a solicitation of pity and just for it's also a it's also a resistance, right? It's a resistance to give up the the illness and to actually work through it and push through it requires a lot more energy than just keeping the repression intact. So you know, but this is all question of the the transference and. Gets us a little bit out of uh not out of the context because it's always there, right? This question of the transfers that's always looming. But um do we want to do one more passage and maybe? Yeah, uh, then
1: yeah, because it's getting late over <laughs> in in New. Council. I mean, I'm having
2: fun, but you know. Oh yeah, I, me
1: too. But yeah, I don't want to keep we don't want to keep Elliot up. <laughs> Spending his uh, Saturday evening talking about Lacan.
3: <laughs> oh, that's a, it's a good way to live. You know, yes. I, I like talking. This is this is a good kind of through here in terms of you're really doing the philosophy the anarchy thing with emphasis on the philosophy yeah. i like it you know i do i do zero book stuff as well really emphasizing kind of socialist ideology which i i don't frankly i'm not the guy to talk to about um, but i <laughs> but i try to work but so it's it's fun to be in the philosophy mode like yeah kind of philosophy yeah,
1: yeah like i said in that kind of pure theory in so many ways like lacan is working in this kind of pure theory realm which I just fucking love. I just love it. I don't know. It's, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. That's why I, I enjoy his work so much. There's a short little quote that I think we can perhaps wrap up on That It's yeah, getting into let's, a little bit name, of like- name,
3: name of the coop. <laughs> this.
1: <laughs> this is a little bit of discussion of the big other. I told you that the other with the big O qua bearer of the signifier is excluded. The other is thereby all the more powerfully affirmed between it and the subject at the level of the little other of the imaginary- this is where all the between-eye phenomenon that make up what is apparent in the symptomatology of psychosis take place at the level of the other subject, of the one who holds the initiative in the delusion. In the case of Schreber, Professor Fleschig, or God, who is potentially so seductive that he places the world order in danger by virtue of the attraction.
2: It's interesting that here, Lacan, I, I and I'm not sure if I'm misreading this which would be productive, right? As we know, (laughs) I'm not sure if at the end of the sentence, he's saying God is potentially seductive because the way that the memoirs read, it's in fact Schreiber who is actually putting God in jeopardy, God's own drive of self-preservation in jeopardy by being such an amazingly charismatic, attractive soul. But I guess, I mean, I, I would be willing to read it both ways in the case of Schraber, who is potentially that he places the world or in danger? Yeah, um, that's the thing though. It, I would turn that around and I'm, a, you know, and Lacan would probably love this, right? But uh, I would turn that around and say that Schraber is the one who is seductive um, without meaning to. And it's this thing where as long as he is thinking or ideating or delusional or having the the verbal hallucinations or whatever, He's constantly attracting God, and one of the one of his proofs that God is stupid is that as soon as he stops thinking, then God can retract and withdraw from him because he thinks that now Schrader is dead, or that Schrader is just stupid because he's no longer thinking. So it does feel like the attraction the attraction is centered more around Schrader from his point of view. I didn't touch the rest of the the paragraph. I was just giving you my my riff is he
1: saying that i guess Schreiber. wait so flesh of god is the big other
2: that seems to be implied right
3: I love that idea that um that Schreber is the the fantasy of Schreiber's through his delusion is seducing God
2: yes yeah he yeah he's the source of God's uh, of God requires this continual voluptuousness
3: right i mean he's yes. he's a he's an idiot
2: and a pervert in a certain way, you know, and he's totally enthralled, totally captivated.
3: Shreber is not. Schraber is the per. I don't think Schraber is a pervert because. No, no, God, God is a, God. Pervert. God's oh, a pervert. God is the God is the pervert. That's what I meant. Then it's like God is this. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: He, he's he's but he's or he's fixated. He's he's fetishized Schraber, if you will, that that Shreber yeah. is this... the imagined
3: pervert. Mm, yes. <laughs> which which allows the psychosis, right? The psychosis functions through the imaginary pervert master, God, the pervert master.
2: Right. And so like Schreber's becoming woman is another example of he's seducing God and the, the lore is to repopulate humanity because it doesn't, that, that desire doesn't seem to come from God. At least again, if we follow the memoirs uh, and how Schreber himself talks about it, it's Schreber's delusion that he's, that all, that all humanity is wiped out, that, Everyone around him are just mannequins or fleetingly improvised men. And Schraber's task is to do the impossible and repopulate the earth by becoming woman. I say the impossible in scare quotes, right? And so he seems to be the one.
3: It's such a unique fantasy. Yes. There's something bespoke about it in terms of bespoke as the architectural term for individualized. You can talk in universals about these functions, I think you're really, you really captured it in terms of Schreber, the psychotic with the pervert master God, right? But then ultimately the thing that's produced is just, it is not of this earth, right? Right. It's just something totally yeah. off the map. It's just totally, nonetheless, it does have, you can say it has this universal function of seducing the other. It must be continually produced to seduce. Yes. To seduce yeah. Them, that Yeah, that to
1: voluptuousness you. that Taylor
2: mentioned. I, yeah. I see it as, you know, because he's not shy about telling us how smart he is, you know, how intellectually suited he is. Part of that is obviously to say, I'm not just a crazy person. Whatever, and part of that's also to say that that like I deserve my freedom, as you pointed out earlier. But it's also this other thing about these great personages, which you know makes me think of Nietzsche and monumental history. But Straiber is trying to say like these great persons, like Goethe and von Bismarck, and these other figures who who are these rare souls that, while they're alive, attract God's attention because otherwise God doesn't know anything about the living. All he knows about are are the dead. So like Schraber is aggrandizing himself. This is, again, it's the letter to Fleece. I think it's draft H about paranoia, where Freud himself says that one of the things that paranoiacs can, they can either develop these delusions, but just as easily and concomitant with that, they can develop a a megalomania. And we have to admit that Judging on the memoirs, he has a pretty healthy dose of, of megalomania, of this idea that he is this, he is the salvation. Uh, he is the potential salvation of of this new this new world. And so yeah, I I I do see it as him having the the gall, if you will, having the the well, I was going to say having the balls, but have, <laughs> he has this healthy uh, vision of himself as being powerful enough to continually attract God's attention while he's alive. And so that's kind of why I see it as as him being the the seducer. I haven't finished the memoirs, so I would be interested to see if that conception changes. But in the first hundred pages or so, it's very clear. And from, you know, even from Freud's Schreiber case, it's very clear that, you uh, you know, he's the seductive source. Even even when he's thinking about Fleshig as persecuting and he's he's thinking they're plotting against him and they're they're going to uh they're going to rape him, right? It it seems like he's well, I don't use the word projecting because Lacan restricts it that term, but you know, he is ideating their desire for him and it's associated with, with these things we've talked about, like the becoming woman, etc.
1: I think there's like the facts, just kind of some of the you know, on the surface facts of the case are quite interesting in this, in the development of his, um, you know, his whole thing. Schreber is just to go back this inability to procreate between Schreber and his wife. There's that component. There's the fleshig sort of almost an Oedipal is, am I, am I yeah. a, off base a bit with sort of looking at this and sort of perhaps this kind of strange edible triangle with the three of them and how God works into you know, there, like in this whole notion of you know, reproduction, etc. I don't know. I thought that's quite could, interesting. And I don't know. I'll let one of you or both of you go.
3: Could we not see ourselves in the psychotic? <laughs> could we not see our, our timeline of ourselves as, as our ego, the fantasies of our ego or of just ourselves as the object as a big asserting psychotic fantasy? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's kind of. <laughs> it reminds me of the, of all
2: kinds of myths, especially about um, being the chosen people, right, and yeah. being the being God's chosen, which we see throughout religions. You know, to give Fraber his due and saying that he's writing this. Yeah, it's the, this tract I'm about
3: person. What's that? Crazy how I'm the only chosen oh. person. No. Right, no, exactly. Right. I mean, but that's that's <laughs> idea that he is. Exactly.
2: And so, you know, fitting that in with the, the Oedipus complex, you know, it's it's kind of like I'm. What does Oedipus want in the framework, wh- whether it be the myth or whatever? Symbolic it's,
3: function. It's right? to the be loved by mommy function.
2: and daddy and to make them proud, right? And does it you know, function
3: symbolically? Right. Grabber doesn't function symbolically. The biggest crime.
2: <laughs> That's good. It's this, uh, you know, we have this idea that like doctors have god complexes, right? They can save anyone and stuff like that and I, I wonder about Lacan being tongue-in-cheek talking about Schreiber as a martyr right because it is this idea that he has this himself has this god complex because he has to save he has to save the whole world in this dynamic psychotic delusional transformation
1: I think it's interesting too to think of this in the context of the, uh, of like Abraham and his wife Sarah, who was barren, right? Yeah. And so God directs Abraham to to sleep with, I believe Hagar was his right. Egyptian, Egyptian um, her like Egyptian handmaiden or something right. like that, right? And then they produce the offspring, Ishmael. Yep. I don't know. I think that's sort of an interesting kind of parallel to this Shraber God. Fleshig, Schraber's wife, etc. right? You know, obviously there's the that inability to reproduce and then this divine, I guess, demand to reproduce, right?
2: Right. And even though the son-
1: He's that, still
3: impotent in that demand because he, ha- yes. he can't have God's child.
2: Right.
1: He, he has yeah, to so become woman persists. first. Yeah. Anything else in terms of Oedipus and, and Schraber or like this seminar that either of you want to throw in yeah, before we wrap well,
3: up? What does Oedipus want of Schraber, right? He wants him he wants him to cut it out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he wants Schraber to be subject to mm. the law of the Father. How much does he want it? Well, in his time, enough to imprison him, right? So is it any wonder that you get figures railing against psychoanalysis and psychotherapy or psychology when there is this potential, of the master function, psychology as master function, the psych cop, you know, there's a reason why people like Nick Land and um, Acceleration and Deleuze, because the, the psych cop, not the image, which is the image is what scares people, of course, but this, there is a real symbolic function of, of telling somebody that their particular self-fantasy is so off the map that it deserves punishment. right Right. and that you know to get that um like i said the example with the social worker and the person who just says well i don't fuck the system that's that's a fairly common fantasy but but the stakes are really high sometimes right your sense of self is so often that you need to be punished so that's that's a very scary thing right and a lot of i think what egoism involves we talk of it sometimes sterner is an offensive creature but you know sterner talks about you either conquer the man. The stick conquers the man or the man conquers the stick. And how does one conquer the stick if you have to get beaten by the stick and there's no escape from the stick? Hmm. Well, maybe psychosis. <laughs> maybe the and that's very, yeah, it's real. The the psychotic fantasy conquers the stick in its own way. Huh. You get abuse, then you get psychosis. Why? Conquering the stick in a certain way.
2: Yeah, and this this is very good for, um, you know, Freud gives us the information about, because he tried to dig into Schreber's biography and told us about his father, his brother committing, you know, suicide, and we learn about his father creating all of these different mechanisms. We talked about this a little bit, Coop, but the, these different mechanisms for obedience and for um you know, you know, these devices that um, would restrict one's one's hands and arms from masturbation and these other things, which is why what I brought up earlier that Schreiber gets so angry that the orderly accused of
1: masturbation he's yeah. accused
2: of masturbating. Yeah, he has in some way that triggers him. That triggers him to deny this activity that would have that obviously his father would have strictly forbidden. And even we imagine have uh, used his sons as guinea pigs in the development of these these upbringing torture devices, really. And I'll just end by this, because I I said this before in the Schreiber case episode, but I I don't think I stressed it enough. One of the interesting things in the introduction to my copy, it may be the only translation, but anyway, in this version, the author introducing it, I'll have to look her name up, She's a scholar of 19th century psychology and things like this. But her main point was that Freud, in his 100 pages on the Schraber case, never mentions anything whatsoever, whatsoever about Schraber being in imprisoned, Schraber's suffering, Schraber submitted to institutional corrective, Schraber potentially, who knows, being what kind of, you know, you would need a Foucauldian scholar maybe to talk about Schraber's conditions. And what kind of therapy, you know, use, whether, well, obviously like the stereotype is like shock therapy, but it could have been all the other kinds of corrective disciplinary uh, measures, including like the stick, right, Elliot? You know, I mean, so Freud didn't say a word about that because for him, that's not. Um, the real,
3: that, that, the real of the stick.
2: Right. Right. I mean, I think for Freud, that's, that's moot, right? Because he already has these, these delusions and these ideations, but I think that that is that's just one of the the uh, one of the aspects of a short sightedness that someone like Guattari, I think would bring out in his analyses of institutions and even potentially Lacan if his goal weren't to teach us about the psychoses, but to actually if we were doing a just a huge study of Schreber and not focus more generally on the psychoses, I I can imagine that that would come up the physical and mental abuse that. Schreber could have taken. And I guess I'll end by tying this together with your idea with Sterner and and the stick is because of this, because of what we know about his father and his father's interests and his strictness and his, we could say his, there's a kind of sadistic in a common sensical notion that his father, there's a sadism that he displays and potentially one of the interesting avenues I would want to revisit and look at is you know, Freud on narcissism, but also the this, this stages of masochism, right? That we see that could help us talk about potentially Schreiber's, uh development of, of psychoses.
1: Elliot, if you have anything you want to wrap up on or if you just want, if you want to plug something that you're, any events you guys, or anything been, or what else? It's
3: been a great long session. Any events? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't have, my, my book comes out Black Friday, November. This is narcissism. <laughs> I feel like we got we got somewhere really interesting with this conversation. And I would like to plug us uh, guess <laughs> in terms of I would like to plug this very I think this is a really interesting analysis of psychosis across the lens of Deleuze and Stirner and a little bit of this new dialectical egoism Freudian molecule thing the logic mm-hmm. of it but where that logic can also it's not necessarily the key. I you know I always say it's one dimension of reality. They are trying to bring it forward, but but the analysis further continues when you see this fantasy's function as overcoming this other force, mm. right? This oh, it's overcoming this kind of paternal function in creation of psychosis. It was a good talk, and I good talking with y'all. I'm excited for uh. When I say something like this, when when I when I participate in something like this, part of my brain in terms of. I think my personal symptom is I want to, un- I want to know the right, say the right thing uh, or understand the right thing, objectively find the substance of reality. Right. Yeah. And when you're talking on um, psychoses and the power of the psychotic, the power of the psychotic, which appears when they say no to a no, you get to the second function, which is more universal, which is just the power of, ourselves overcoming these forces the power of uh, demand in terms of i think maybe Deleuze's lesson was correct in terms of there's this power to the schizophrenic but i think lacan describes the schizophrenic in this in this kind of way which deleuze's positive function of the schizophrenic can't understand the idea that schizophrenia or psychosis itself can overcome a, you know a microfascism whatever that is uh, the delusional kind of the, the micro politic or or even it can overcome abuse. It can overcome, you could even say a normal home, get quote unquote normal home, it overcomes it. I'm interested in not forgetting this conversation here, <laughs> remembering that psychosis is this kind of double negation, which carries kind of this great power of fantasy, which is individualized fantasy, which has the ability to, you know, this fantasy can seduce God, it can seduce the other. The productiveness seduces the other, and in that process, it also overcomes the stick. So you could even say the Oedipal triangle appears. The psychosis seduces the mother and overcomes the father. Right? Here's the here's the triangle, the Oedipal triangle at the end. Uh oh.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> but
3: but that's the mother is not you know the real the mother for Freud. I think this is Lacan's lesson. Of course, isn't nothing. It could be the mother, but but it's also these other kinds of the. You know, femininity it could be ma- masculinity of God. It could be all these other things, and you're overcoming this. So you could say there's a, a force you're seducing, and a force you're overcoming, and then there's you and your psychosis, or you and your you and your force, you and your production. You know, the back puissance? to the Yeah.
1: <laughs> Always a pleasure to have you on. One of my favorite people to have hop on the podcast. So thanks so much for spending your Saturday night talking about. Freud, Lacan, etc. cetera, Schraber.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely do it again. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, whenever you have time, yeah.
1: man. We'd love to love to have cool. you back anytime, definitely for the book whenever that comes out. This will be the Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry and Taylor Atkins signing off for the week.
0: The very rules of eating of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is Alcance. Violence without object This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is the murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. What I did mean, is the following. Please. With nothing left but recycled, whitewashed, lobotomized people, as in block work orange.